Listeners, to time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Well, I get and get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us and get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live audio at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. And live audio is playing there also. We're streaming at abibitumi.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I dot com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn radio is a free radio app. In that tune in search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening there. You'll see the icon, and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In the Facebook search engine, you can type in Time for an Awakening video program. There you'll always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening radio program. The fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times and share with your friends. Also, check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace and our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.08, and it's, uh, I guess, uh, half snowy Sunday evening here on Time for an Awakening. Sunday edition. Our guest this evening, activists and organizers from different power formations from several states across this country. Uh, you'll hear from them this evening. The topic, black independent leadership formations and or the lesser of two evils. You'll hear from our guests this evening, uh, several representatives, uh, representatives from Operation Power in New York City, representatives from Ujima People's Party, Progress Party in Baltimore, Maryland. Mississippi on the Move will be represented here 
also the New African Independence Party out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and many others that, that's uh, scheduled to join us. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You're listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, 
where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back. Time for an Awakening is 7.13 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and R Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Ellie. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing fine. You know, Elliot, this is, uh, I, I really like what's um, coming together here. So I'm really excited. Um, and thank you and thank um, the, the men who decided to be a part of this forum for, because um, it's definitely will be educational for me. And I think it'll be informational um, for the rest of the community in relationship to what it really takes and what is being done um, in order to, to formulate I'm going to use one of the um, guests, uh, organizational power in America for black folks. Richard, uh, you know, we see moving forward uh, 2024 and beyond that is necessary more than ever now that we develop independent black leadership to help our people move forward. It's imperative. Uh, These other folks... Uh, part of the American uh, project, whether they're Democrat or Republican, is always cultivating all the time our young minds among us to be a part of this American project and Western society with Western values. Some of our people that understand the situation that our people are in realize that we need to develop independent black leadership from independent young minds to help our people move forward and to reach the goals that we intend to reach as a people. You know, over the years, Richard, uh, and and over the past year in particular, uh, we've had independent uh, uh, black formations, independent black parties, that are established in several states around this country. Uh, both of us, Richard, you and myself, went down to Jackson, Mississippi in September uh, for the Black Power Convention and met several young activists from different quadrants of the state of, the state of Mississippi that are working down there. So tonight we're going to showcase some of the men and hopefully some sisters that are called in that are part of these organizations uh, others that we've had on the program uh, might join in the conversation this evening, but they're still a part of this whole struggle. You'll hear from the uh, uh, the people that are part of this conversation this evening. Uh, uh, Brother Karan Allen, who's an intricate part of Operation Power up there in New York City. Uh, Brother Brandon from the Ujima People's Progress Party from down there in Baltimore, Maryland. That uh, that uh, uh, what you call it, Richard? The uh, 
Washington, D.C. What do they call it? The DMV. DMV, yeah. From down in the DMV, we got Brother Brandon from the Eugene People's Progress Party. Mississippi on the move is represented by Brother Rodney Lowe, Brother Duff Sack, and uh, Brother uh, Jaheed down in Mississippi. And also we're going to have the New African Independence Party. Uh, Brother Khalid Rahim uh, should be joining this conversation also. But uh, let's kind of start uh, first with uh, with uh, Brother Karan Allen. Uh, this is what I want to do. I, I want to introduce everybody, give them uh, maybe to, to five to ten minutes to introduce their organization uh, uh, before we talk about their personal journey and how they got involved in activism. First, I want to get a little bit about the organizations and the work that they're doing in the communities or the cities uh, that they represent. And first, we'll start with uh, Brother Karan Allen. Uh, he's right up here. So let's go to Brother Karan. Brother Karan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Brother Elliot. Thank you so much, uh, you and Brother Richard, for having me on with uh, what I would say is a, a star-studded collection of uh, brothers, and I, I'm not sure if there's any sisters on, but brothers around the country um, that are doing amazing, amazing work. Um, I'm just happy to be on and, you know, provide a little bit of insight about uh, Operation Power, um, the organization of which I'm so proudly a co-chair of. Um, so, uh, you want me to give the background now? Yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to spend a uh, little time with each one of our guests to talk about the organization they represent, uh, the work that's been accomplished. And then we're going to come and kind of double back because I want to speak to all of you brothers to okay. find out why you got involved in this type of activism. Because it's necessary, but I just want uh, the, the, all of you brothers to talk, talk about your personal journey. But first, let's let's uh, find out a little bit about the organization. Not a problem. Um, so, yeah, Operation Power. Power standing for people organizing and working for empowerment and respect. Um, Operation Power is a grassroots social social justice organization founded by local community stakeholders. We're talking about activists, regular people, teachers, organizers, and leaders that made a general commitment and understand that the system as it's currently structured, structured is destroying us and our communities holistically. The system, of course, a capitalist system, one that promotes human greed over human need, one that promotes profit over people, needs to be dismantled. And what better than to do this at the local level? These local organizers recognize that the system, of course, needs to be radically changed and rebuilt. Operation Power was founded way back, what feels like way back, is <laughs> way back in 1997, um, to do just that, of course. Um, and with a full-on understanding that systemic change happens locally. Our communities, uh, specifically up here in New York, uh, there's all these different enclaves um, and neighborhoods of black people. Um, Operation Power, based out in East New York, um, which has its own history, but is a predominantly black community. Um, and Operation Power, of course, operates with the understanding that this sort of change can happen locally where we uh, encompass the majority. So wherever we are the majority, we should have those power positions to really control our destiny. And our communities, of course, are the vehicle to erode the parasitic capitalist system brick by brick. The systems in place in our local community infrastructure, you got to think about it in New York City, is a little bit different. But 
you know, it's easily transferable across the country. When you think about the local school board, so the education system, the community board, which is basically all local decisions that are made in a community, um, the city council seat, that's your, your, your city representative on the municipal level, whether it's passing the budget or um, passing legislation, you know, that, that seat is a power seat. The New York State Assembly, another power seat at the state level. All of these are power pieces that control the destiny of our neighborhood. So getting back to the history of Operation Power, in 1997, Operation Power launched a campaign. Uh, it was Charles Barron for city council. Uh, some of you may know, of course, the good black radical councilman. He is uh, one of the founders of Operation Power alongside his wife, former council member and former assembly member, uh, Inez Barron, and a bunch of other community stakeholders um, that you may or may not know. But, you know, this collection founded the group. Uh, campaign, Charles Barron for City Council. Uh-oh. Didn't realize this. At, what, what'd you say? We was getting a little choppy audio, but we hear you now, Brother Karan. Oh, you gave me now. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be uh, speed it up a little bit. No, no, no. Go but, ahead. Um, but I was just saying your audio was a little choppy. But go ahead. No problem. Gotcha. Um, so in launching that campaign, Charles Banford City Council, although the campaign wasn't successful, it was successful in uh, essentially ushering in. 22 years of radical systemic change in East New York, um, in city politics, to state politics, and beyond um, as black radical candidates. So in 1997, although uh, Councilman did not win that seat, eventually he would go on to win in uh, 2001 and take the seat uh, and essentially never look back from 2002. And the, these 22 years of changes, you know, we talk about change and, and what can truly be done, but there's thousands of units of truly affordable housing. I have to say truly affordable because in East New York, the local, the local neighborhood income, uh, which is called the AMI, the area median income is $38,000. Um, the housing that was brought in was specific to that area median income for folks within the neighborhood to get truly affordable housing. We're talking about thousands of units of, of, of housing. When you think about New York and black areas, a lot of them are being gentrified purposefully by way of building, quote unquote, affordable housing. East New York is one of the very few communities that, when you look at the, the census years uh, or the, the census results for the past 10 years, it's one of the few communities that has seen an increase in the black population. That does not happen if Charles Barron, Inez Barron are not elected representatives and put in place by the black radicals in Operation Power, doing that sort of political work. And beyond that, we, we're also talking about $388 million schools that were built within that, that tenure and time that they led the efforts for over $101 million allocated towards local community parks. When that sort of investment was not being done across the city for the times that they, that they've been in office two libraries being built from the ground up 
one specifically um, let, in an effort um, to, to save an African burial ground. And now this, this entire block radius is going to be transformed. One of the parks being renamed from Skank, a slaveholder, to Sankofa and undergoing a radical transformation, all because of the representation that was in office within this time. And we're not talking about just having black faces in high places, but folks who are committed and authentically black, ideologically black, and committed through action and, and all sorts of effort um, within Operation Power. Um, and of course, you know, I could go on and on about the cultural actions that were taken, um, the thousands of jobs being secured for local residents, the political infrastructure being completely transformed, city council seat, state assembly seat, male and female district leader, the local community board being comprised of Operation Power members, electing a local judge, county committee seats, block association presidents, tenant association presidents. It's really just about taking the infrastructure and taking it on from the most local level, not looking at the presidency and all these other things that we, we really have no skin in the game for, but the local seats that can make a tangible difference in your life. And this is only a tactic. This isn't the end-all, be-all. But this is, when we think about the work of Operation Power, this is it. This is what we've been able to do. And this is all done while being black radicals. We are black radicals, which simply means we, we're getting to the root causes of the system and the problems. We need to get to the root and not lose ourselves in battling all of the various symptomologies of the, of the of this vicious system, you know? We know revolution is the solution. Operation Power believes in black power for black people. Black power is still needed and relevant. Operation Power believes the black radical is the only ideological position we can afford to take, y'all. Get into the root of our problems for revolutionary change. Operation Power believes and community control for black people, true autonomy. We should be at the vanguard of all systems within our community. Operation Power believes that we need to move to a more socialist, egalitarian system, a communal system that doesn't suffocate but liberates. So we take collective action by being a part of this group. I'm very happy to be a co-chair. There's a lot of work that has happened prior to me being a member, um, and we're just continuing that work now. Although the councilman is no longer in office, you know, we're still working on building the group up, you know, because of our successes with uh, everything that I just listed. The group, we haven't been able to put a lot of energy into it. But, of course, I was attracted to it as a young man. But we'll get into that story a little later. But that's, um, I would say, a big background, uh, a, a larger picture of who and what Operation Power is, just regular black people wanting to make a difference, but committing themselves to an ideological cause the long way and using the political machine um, or the political system as a tactic to do just that. <laughs> Thanks for that brief presentation, Brother Karan. And I'm going to kind of double back around when we uh, kind of uh, uh, ask some more questions. I uh, thank you again for that brief uh, 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 description of the work of Operation Power. Let's move on to uh, to the DMV. Let's drive on down about 200 miles or 250 miles, 300 miles from New York down to uh, down 95. And we're going to go into the Baltimore DMV area and talk with uh, Brother Brandon from the Eugene People's Progress Party. Uh, Brother Brandon, how are you, sir? 
Brother Brown. Who, um, brothers and sisters, I'm here. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear, brother. Yes. How are you? Um, peace and blessings, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm in front of Eugene of People's Progress Party. Brandon, can you can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, yeah, I didn't know if you were asking a question. But yeah, yeah, your, your audio is just a little bit choppy, but I think we can fight through it, brother Brandon. T- tell a listen- better. Yes, tell a listening audience okay. a little a little bit about the uh, Ujima People's Progress Party and the work uh, that you've been accomplishing down there in the uh, DMV area. Yes, um, thank you again for having having us on. Um, so my name is Brian, training organizer, been a Eugene People's Progress Party member for over five years. And Eugene People's Progress Party was started out of a formation of the Yahoo movement and the African People's Socialist Party and other people who came out of different grassroots radical formations across the country with brothers and sisters and comrades, many who are here and many who also have transitioned as well to come together and be able to not necessarily meet in the city of Baltimore per se, but to be able to have an idea exactly on how to be able to break free as independently from the democratic chokehold inside the city of Baltimore in this, in the state, in the colonial state of Maryland and across the colonial state of United States in general. And those relationships, like all things, they start off with ideas, they start off with questions, struggles, observing the material condition and coming to a concise reality of exactly what is it that we wish to see or what is it that we can build that we want. And one of the foundations was to be able to win power back to the people and being able to have access to labor unions where black workers are on and off the job, off the shop floor, to be able to work with teachers union, to be able to work with community and lay people in general around the struggle for housing, around water um, discrepancies, around taxes, around water bills, all the things that negatively disproportionately dis- disproportionately affect poor and working class people inside the city of Baltimore while still being while still being under that chokehold of the Democratic Party and coming to conclusions as brothers and sisters from different formations and across the country to do so, one of the things was to be able to ratify an idea to build an independent black workers led political party and having an understanding that getting elected to office does not necessarily represent transformative change. Just like having a black president doesn't necessarily mean that the lynching and the extrajudicial killings of African people across this country would change the would change the conditions or the trajectory on exactly how capitalism and imperialism affects Africans here and the world over. So instead, we decided that just coming together with that idea to launch an independent black led political party that can get on the ballot, that can get access to people in their community, on and off the workplace, and even doing the work inside the prison walls, behind the walls where there are a lot of political prisoners and a lot of people who are just dysfunctionally conscious and aware of the struggles that we're facing here. And some of that work does entail, as we mentioned, around political education and being able to understand the difference of when you're being told that this is the most important election of your lifetime from local elections on down to 
going up to presidential elections and hearing the same song and dance and the spill run over top of the people while your living situations, your circumstances, and the things that we're struggling with our day-to-day and the quality of life itself is deteriorating, you know, right before our eyes. And having that encapsulated around the idea of political education and having a platform around economic and social justice, those were some of the things that we wanted to encounter, but also we wanted to struggle around because there are just many contradictions on exactly how that works and how that will be embodied and how to be able to portray and work around those or work around those formations and struggles in general inside of a platform. And another part of that work would also entail around food sovereignty and food insecurity, where sometimes we're being forced to ask the question of, do you pay your rent or do you starve? Do you, you know, do you sacrifice a ride to work because you can't afford to get on a bus or do you pay a bill? And a lot of times I think that's a question that poor working class people, but in general, African working class people, as the lump and proletarian, we suffer under the weight of colonial capitalism inside the city of Baltimore in the state of Maryland and across the U.S. So one of the, one of the programs that was able to be launched was a community fridge where the idea is it's just you get a fridge, we connect it to a power line, build a community, build relationship around that community where if anyone is in need of food, we keep it stocked, we keep it full. But the idea is not necessarily to be a paternalistic or to be looked at as a form of charity, but to be able to realize the realities and the material conditions that we're all facing with that anyone can stop past there at any time, much like going to your local YMCA or you going to your local organization and they're having a food pantry, a lot of theirs are done, you know, as a pacifist kind of effort versus us where we understand that if we want to be the ones to solve our own issues while organizing around the political questions and economic struggle, then we have to be able to, too, commandeer land to be able to have community for political education form and at the same time work on the political prison struggles in the housing question and as well as property taxes and water bills and all the things that would affect quality of life of African people under capitalism inside the city of Baltimore. But I would like to conclude and bring that forth is that a lot of our struggles just as a political organization is centered around the communication and reaching out to other formations across the, the country and as well as regionally and being able to encapsulate those ideas that we are part of a solution, not the solution, just one one part. And I'm hoping that being on this call, listening and learning and being able to glean information and hopefully get some phone numbers in exchange from anyone that's on, that's on the call and off the call to call in to be able to figure out exactly how do we struggle forward and to be able to continue to fight forward as we refuse to fall back into the chokehold of the Democratic Party, and as well as any other two-party system that bedevils the working-class people, the African working-class people, into choosing whether or not you vote or die. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that presentation, Brother Brandon, uh, of the Ujima People's Progress Party down there in that DMV area. Uh, we're going to move to, um, and then uh, before we double back around again, we're going to move to... Uh, uh, Brother Rodney Lowe, Brother Dovesack, and Brother Jaheed. And then they're from different areas 
down there in Mississippi because Mississippi on the move encompasses several quadrants in that state. Uh, first, before we go to Brother Jahi, we'll go to Brother Dubsack, uh in the Holly Springs, Mississippi. Brother Dubsack, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, sir. Good evening. First of all, I want to thank you for letting us be a part of this uh, forum, uh, the part of the discussion. Uh, it's a critical discussion we need to have at this time uh, as blacks. Uh, uh, my name is Rodney Lowe, uh, better known as Dubsack, which is Divine Unity versus Scandals Against Christ. Uh, it's an acronym. Uh, but uh, I'm the president of the Marshall County branch of the NAACP. Uh, and I'm sure uh, being here from Mississippi, I know y'all heard all the horror stories, or, or you can imagine um, how slow things are moving down here for the progress of black people. And uh, when we found it here locally that it was best for us to take over the uh, local branch of the NAACP. And when I say take over, we literally had to um, join, recruit, outnumber them, outvote them, and, and literally take over the branch and get the branch active. Uh, just to stand and uh, as a, um, to be activists for our community, to get some attention here to our community. Uh, and we're here in Holly Springs, we're an 86 percent black populated city. Uh, we like to say we're the blackest city in America with the 86 percent population, and, and and we are not governed by white. We are being governed majority by black. Uh, we have our first uh, elected black woman mayor. Uh, we had uh, four aldermen on the board of five. One white sit on the board. Uh, for the board of supervisors, we had three uh, out of five. So we're not uh, totally ran by uh, white, but the blacks that we do have in office um, seem to believe in that white supremacy idea or they've been uh, neglecting to grow or be progressively trying to grow the community uh, that keeps trying not to offend their all-white counterparts. And that's just a, uh, what we see here on the local level in politics. So here locally, we, uh, we've been on the ground roots uh, trying to uh, uh, get some of these folks out of office. We've been uh, running for different positions like sheriff, tax collector, mayor, supervisor, aldermen. Uh, we have a couple of people. Uh, we have one new seat as an election commissioner. We found that uh, those bodies, the election commissioner and that uh, Democratic executive uh, uh, committee, has a lot of power over the election. Uh, if we don't think that the elections are being fair and transparent, then we need to get in there and take over those bodies that have the power over those elections. So we have, we found here in uh, Mississippi, uh, 81 out of 82 counties, the Democratic Executive uh, Committee was actually signing over their power to the circuit clerk, majority of white circuit clerks. So they're giving up all their, all this, the Democratic Party is giving up their power to hold the primary election. And, and when I say the power, I mean to, to screen and, and choose who qualifies to be a candidate to run in these positions, uh, to, uh, to make sure we have, uh, uh, educated people working the polls or young people working the polls. That's one way I think we can get our youth involved. If we have hired more youth to work the polls and get that money, I think we pay here in Mississippi like $200 a day to work the polls for those 12 hours. But we got the same group of people 
who've been working the polls since I started vote at 18. I'm now 50. We got the same people. Uh, that has to stop. So we, we realized we had to get in there and get involved in those two uh, uh, parties or those two um, uh, organizations, the Democratic Party, Executive Committee, and that uh, election commissioners. Uh, they control the election, the, the primary and the general, and, uh, and along with the circuit clerk. And we just elected our first uh, black woman circuit clerk. Uh, for the, for, she's on her second term now. Uh, and, and, and like I said, that don't really mean anything because we got those first black elected ones now. We still have to keep boots on the ground. We still have to uh, hold them accountable, make them be transparent, and we, uh, and we still have to reluctant on that. But that's a that's a black trend that we that we're planning on using throughout the state of Mississippi. So we have 14 counties down here in Mississippi who are majority black, at least 70 percent or more. And I'm sure big cities and other cities across America wish they had the numbers that we had that we have down here. So we're just trying to uh, activate and get our people gabinated together on a, on a more uh, constructive black power uh, notion because our, our leadership we have have had over the last 40, 50 years been somewhat of established Negro. Uh, they only wanted to be a part of the elite class uh, within the community and the working class people are not receiving anything. We're, not, we're, in, a, we're in a county that has no adequate hospital. They keep bringing in clinics uh, with the governor won't do this Medicaid expansion to bring in, to keep the hospitals open and to give every area hospital. Uh, we're in the, you know, it's 2024. I don't think no area of uh, county or city or municipality should be without a hospital. That's standard health care, I think, you know, I feel. And, uh, and that's what we're pushing for uh, on, on platforms that, with these candidates that we are running in the upcoming mayor election, upcoming uh, 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 state state uh, state elections. Uh, we're looking for candidates that are pushing for those type of uh, things that we need in our community. Uh, and uh, we say black power here, yeah, we just mean black people uh, controlling every aspect of their lives when it comes to education, uh, political, uh, food supply, farmers, education, and definitely our political structure. We have to control all that. We're an 86% population. There's no need for another race to govern us. And, uh, but that mentality that uh, that a lot of us Mississippians have that it got to be some in the mix to make it go right, or, or they don't believe that we as blacks can govern ourselves. So we got to get all the naysayers and non-believers out of our way. We're not going to have everybody on board, but I think we we can find a substantial quality of a number of people uh, that believe like we believe, and that's what we're trying to do, galvanize uh, all our efforts throughout the uh, state of Mississippi. And we're we reaching out to to the gang, uh, the street organization, the Vine Nine, uh, Israelite, any, any organization that have a, a, a surplus of number of black disciplined, organized, trying to help the community. And I think we need to be uh, working together on a united front. That's how the battle condition we're in. We, we, we no longer need to be ignorant, insane, and letting those little things that divide us keep dividing us. But we know the ultimate goal is liberation for our people. And I yield my time at that. Thanks for that presentation, Brother Dovsack. We're gonna go to uh, another quadrant of Mississippi and talk uh, about uh, talk with Brother Jaheed, representing Mississippi on the move. Brother Jaheed, can you hear me? 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can anybody hear me loud and clear? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you once again uh, for the opportunity to represent the um, Mr. Move and the MGVs. And once again, I'm glad to be a part of this um, high quality squadron or this uh, forum of brothers and sisters who drive the nation doing the job of liberation for our people. And and for uh, to begin, uh, I would love to say, uh, Assalamu alaikum, black power, and lastly, power to the young black youth. Like I said, I am Captain Jahi, Justice Allah, Suja Akili. I represent the Mississippi Mecca during Vanguard, which is a, a young, righteous wave for young black people to tap into self and to community to change the, the energy, the direction, and really the spirit of young black people in this, in this state particularly to a better cause and better way of action within ourselves and our community. As I tell all of people I come in contact with to discuss the MGV, it's all about understanding righteousness. And righteousness is an aspect to our liberation. We can't be uh, a liberated people, we're not a righteous people. And righteousness is not always about religion. We don't care what religion you really are or what you, you want to so-called put yourself into, but righteousness must be a key to our liberation, because we gotta be a righteous people before we be a free people. And one thing I, uh, I love to give introduction to our five laws, and the laws that we, we as me and my lieutenants and sergeants have crafted uh, within um, this state, and these are young black people in front of the ages, from the uh, ages of 20 to 26. And we, that's what that's the the name and the aim is for the young black people. But we crafted five of the keys of the righteousness inside our into self and into community. The first key is righteousness is the standard but passion for the betterment of black people is law. The second key is to live and build with truth. If truth is that foundation, then the house will never fall under pressure. The third key is stand strong for your people and show them the example of strength and power from self needed within the community. The fourth key is become the god and the goddesses within the environment so we can be the solution and not the product of our say environments or communities. The fifth and last key, and this is the true key to everything that we want to build and structure within the state of Mississippi for young black people. Love yourself in the mirror. Fall in love with your people despite the ignorance and foolishness of self and community. These are the five keys of the MGV, Mississippi Mecca Generation Vanguard. And like I said before, this is a young, righteous wave for young black people to tap into self. And self is the godhood and the goddesshood of self. But we must understand the righteous energy and the energy needed. It can't be watered down. It can't be, how you say, lessened. It must be, how you say, and Brother Dove said, and once again, I'm glad to be on the call with, with my comrade within the state, always say we must rebrand or re reunite the energy. We must rebrand the energy or reconstruct the DNA. And that's what the MGV is all about, reconstructing the DNA of this same present energy of today's time. And it must be represented and, and present by young people like myself within, within the state to join together and really say, yeah, we young, we black, but also we can be mature and productive within community and self. And I yield my time from there. Brother Jaheed, thanks for that presentation of uh, of your your branch group, uh, part of Mississippi on the move. Uh, we did have Brother Khalid Rahim on here from the uh, 
the new African Independence Party out of Pittsburgh, but it's called Drive. Um, if you can give us a call back, Brother Khalid, uh, we can get you on to kind of talk about, uh, give us a little thumbnail of the uh, new African Independence Party out of Pittsburgh. Uh Let's do, let's do this. Let's go back, you know, because uh, Richard, uh, Brother Jaheed talked about the uh, uh, the, the part of uh, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Richard. Uh, go, go ahead. Let me. That doesn't look look like Brother Khalid, but he's dialing my phone. Let me uh, let me get him. Uh, I'll get him straight. But go ahead, Richard. I know you want probably want to say something to a couple of the men. Yeah, if I can, and I wanted to pick up on, if y'all don't mind, um, pick up on Brother Jahid's um, point, and um, because of his age and um, his, you know, it sounds like the objective from where where he is. Um, I wanted to see how each one of y'all would feel uh, feel think as a, as organizers in what you're doing how difficult it is to identify young people and develop them for the objectives that you're dealing with. And, and, and I'll, I'll uh, start, start again with brother uh, Quran, um, you know, and then, you know, if each one of y'all couldn't respond to that, how difficult it is uh, to identify in this moment, young people um, and develop them towards the um, organizational effort in your particular areas, um, brother Quran, um, how, how how would you say for yourself? Uh, good question, uh, brother Richard. I appreciate that. Um, so I guess this brings me back to my journey and how I ended up connecting with Operation Power, um, and then I'll get into I guess some of the things that we've been uh, utilizing and doing in recent years to um, bring in what I would say is the next generation. Uh, so for context, I'm 33 years old. I was born in the year of 1990. Um, when I graduated from college and came back home, um, I wanted to get involved uh, with an organization that suited what I felt were my political interests. Um, so uh, I just like, I feel like many others, you know, went on an ideological tour. Uh, I was going to a lot of events, rallies, um, programs, and, you know, just trying to see what would fit and what would land. Um, and at the time, uh, Councilman Barron, of course, was representing my neighborhood for some years at this point. Um, and I, I, I kept telling myself I would go into his office and introduce myself and, you know, try to pick his brain because here he is, this Black Panther, uh, now turned council member, um, and he's the guy that speaks truth to power um, and has delivered for our neighborhood. So I'm trying to, like, just, you know, gauge him. Fast forward, I ended up running into him a night after I had voted, um, and he just said, you know, come out to Operation Power. Uh, we meet every Saturday at, at noon at a place called 333 New Lots. And I went there. It wasn't anything specific. It was more or less everything that kind of, like, spoke to me. Um, the history, the information, uh, the constant recommendations, the programmatic stuff, the um, intentional 
uh, community actions that were being taken at the time, whether they were, you know, uh, massive rallies being held against the police department for at the time, a pregnant woman was choked by one of the uh, police officers in the neighborhood, like really taking up action um, in a credible sense, you know, really attracted me to the organization and got me locked in. Um, Operation Power, as it currently stands, is intergenerational. So I would tell you all we have for the, the power babies who are like six and seven years old, all the way up to um, one of the founding members, Miss Adeline Bunch. She is 94 um, this year. And when I say she's an active member, she's a part of the board and everything. Um, so we have a little bit of everything. And, you know, I feel like every organization can do better with attracting young people. Um, we've done some intentional programming, um, whether it's uh, our uh, Black Book Drive that we have now done either around Kwanzaa or um, in the promotion of Black History Month. Um, to get more young people in the neighborhood to be extremely connected to their history and also um, our Black Inventors Youth Parade, which is a, a an event that we've done for the past two years. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm, you know, just going off on all of the different um, things that, that, that pop in my head in reference to this, but we've specifically done programming for... Uh, young people to not only attract them, but to keep them. Um, the Black Inventors Youth Parade being the mo the latest and greatest in terms of its its dynamism um, with where we partner with all of the different elementary and middle schools in the area um, to shut down the streets in East New York to march um, to present information around Black Inventors and provide a safe space uh, for young people to once again connect with their history and try to do that extensive consciousness raising in a platform that's specific for them to eventually fold them over into um, our sort of thinking and connection. And then even with that, this is my last point, something like the Black Inventors Youth Parade, yes, where we have elementary and middle school students, but what that comes to, what that ends up connecting to is that parents who are the younger, older adults um, speaking from late 20s to um, end of your 40s, we end up pulling in more of those folks. And I feel like that's how we're, we, we're working on attracting and keeping uh, young people uh, into the movement and, you know, almost lighting other torches, not necessarily passing batons. Hope that answers the question, Richard. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you go ahead, Elliot. Yeah, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I was. I just wanted to go through get a sense since we're dealing with different areas. Um, you know that that question, if if y'all don't mind. And so, um, brother Brandon, and and what you're doing um, as it relates to young people and uh, and attracting them, how how do you see in in DMV area um, the, the either program or the process or just what your um, vision is of attracting young people? How how do you see that or have seen that? Can that be a protracted struggle, if I'm, you know, to speak candidly? Because though a lot of times what we've run into, and even in including myself, is my own contradictions of child care, some of the things that prevent a lot of connecting with the younger brothers and younger sisters can be child care where 
people are either at work so much or they're school or they're at school or they're in between their travels trying to get it together and that's not any excuse or even an explanation by means, but rather an admission of an active struggle where there can be a process to learn. But I know that some of the areas where we saw and made progress is around the struggle to see Palestine to be free around African embassies, getting U.S. imperialism out of African countries, those types of rallies where the consciousness are heightened at a collegiate level for those who are even introduced to their first form of global politics to on down to the local level when we're speaking about police brutality and corruption inside the city and as well as the contradictions that plays itself out throughout the state. And even on down to a lot of, I would say, literacy tours where we pretty much do reading, tutoring, go inside the schools and inside the locations of wherever people are from the ground level. And I, I try my best to emphasize this, so bear with me for a moment because it's very hard. And I think that it's, it's, it's a valiant struggle, but it's one to be learned from. I will say so myself on behalf of the party. But working around the land sovereignty, around community land trust, because that which affects the child also respects, affects the home and has like implications of greater impact on communities where if folks are understanding their condition when it comes to sending their kid to school with clean clothes and or being able to have a to send your kid to school from, a lot of those contradictions tend to play themselves out over and over. So it's been a real uphill battle, but it's been one that I'm grateful and humbled to learn from because I understand that while we are alive, while we are present, while we are looking to struggle forward and move forward, just being able to reach the youth in so many places with so many dynamics and change taking place throughout our time, I think that one of it is just answering that question or doing my best to encapsulate and answer to the question, rather, is being able to recognize what's on people's minds and what's on people's hearts and being able to meet up at these rallies and formations around struggles that are important to people, especially when it comes down to the abuses of human rights. And we tend to see young sisters with their sons and daughters, fathers with their sons and daughters, and families that are out at demonstrations, protests, rallies, institutes, and events or community events where there is a mutual aid benefit happening. So I think that for myself, I have a lot to learn, and I'm grateful for that. And even for my daughter, she's aware. She's a part of the struggle with me. So I'm going through it with my eight-year-old child and just trying to build a consensus within the party and as well as to reach out to wherever the youth are, we'll find family. And whenever we find family, we can build community. So I would say it's been a bit of an uphill battle, you know, bar none without using COVID or any of the existential crisis that have taken place within the last 36 months that to almost to four years that we've seen. Nonetheless, it's just been something where being in the space, being present, being in the room, being in the area to be able to share your information and meet with other organizations who may have a stronger presence with the youth and working with them or if not being the supporting cast to them to be able to understand that whichever way we're moving forward is being done so in good faith, whether or not we have fundamental differences. But if we align towards true liberation and we're doing so in good faith, 
that is probably the start that we've had and the uphill battle will continue to climb until we know for sure, until we can be able to formulate something that can work across the board. Appreciate that. And Brother Vice, and, and, and we'll come, uh, if you don't mind, Elliot, I'm, you know, in finishing on, on the two brothers, but you, you said that y'all have taken over, um, you know, the, one of the tactics was to take over the NAACP. <clears throat> and from what I understand, um, young people were involved in that. So still to this question of as you're, you know, um, lay out the tactical moves that you're um, working on, how difficult it is or how is it that you go about attracting young people um, to, to the efforts that you're, you're, you're um, engaged in? I believe there's a uh, question to be. Yes, sir. Uh, yes. One, thing, one thing we're doing here is uh, we have the local college, we have an HBCU rest college sitting right here in the heart of the city. So we're actively involved with our um, youth branch on the, on the, on the yard, keeping them engaged with voter registration drive, um, helping them come into the community to help engage our younger youth here, high school young adults to get more involved. Uh, one of the things that I'm saying in my outreach, before we reaching out to the street organization, I know they attract and tell you, but we try to get them more on a political, educate them more politically to get them more involved. So no matter where, what facet of the community or the hood they want to be attracted to, I feel that we, we, we're trying to get every facet working on the same um, goal. Uh, so therefore, we can reach more of them. It is definitely a challenge now, brother. I, I, it's a great question because it's a definite challenge so you can get our 18 to 35-year-olds engaged. If we can get them more engaged in the political process, we really can control our political uh, power. Um, but uh, we, we, everything we can do, we're working with the youth um, with a program called Saving Our Sons, getting them at the age of 6 to uh, 12 before they even you know, be introduced to all that, uh, a lot of that hood uh, activity, uh, or getting them alternatives. Uh, so those are the things that we're, the things that, uh, that we are, we're actively doing now uh, in practical uh, works here at ground roots level. Uh, uh, but it's definitely a challenge. I'm glad to be a part of this conversation. Hopefully uh, I can hear something that we can apply here uh, to help us out with those efforts of getting our 18 to 35 years more engaged and uh, more, more involved. Uh, and, and thank you for that. And, and finally, um, you know, to this question, um, Brother Jahad, since you, you, you're specifically focusing on, you said 20 to 26, um, what is it that uh, laid out the five uh, principles, um, you know, to, what is it that you see that you are doing or have to do to attract that within that age group? Yes, sir. Yes, it came by me clearly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And one thing I can say about that, yeah, I'm probably the youngest one on the call. I'm 24 going to 25, 25 next month. And one thing I can say is speaking of this generation and the generation that I grew up in, it's really uh, the conversation, where do we see ourselves in the struggle? Because we understand that I am the byproduct of the, the school system. The school system is nothing but indoctrination. There's no, no, no such thing as education. If they were educated, then we would be, we would be educated how to help ourselves, not only ourselves, but our communities. That's a fact. So one thing we must understand this, that a lot of these, these young people is coming out of an indoctrination system. 
And one thing about indoctrination system, you're not going to, indoctrination going to highest put an agenda in your head while you're even knowing it. So that's one thing that we got to understand that we got to combat that. And one thing I can credit a school in Mississippi is the Shea Academy 1 and 2 in, in Coldwater and um, Brookhaven, Mississippi, and for a fact, that's as, as, that is education. There is no way of forming indoctrination. That is education, a Shea Academy. That is, that is straight education. An African liberated education needed for our young people, for our young black people, our young gods and goddesses. And one thing I can say about this generation is all about we understand what culture are we really under of young black people? What culture are we in? And this culture that we so-called pseudo-one label the culture, it is not our culture. It never had, never been our culture. It's always been a, a, a white culture or a white a vulture culture with a black face and a black tone to it and a black style to it. That is how I say uh, favorable to young black people, but that's not our culture. Culture is your antidote to this system, and the system is a sick system. That's why we are sick people right now. So uh, to understand that, uh, to get young people involved, we need to understand what culture are we under. This is a social media culture, too. So we got to hit the social media, and we got to understand the culture. And like I said, you know, we always say we got to rebrand this. We got to reconstruct everything within culture. That means get involved in the rap culture, get involved uh, of today's time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, today's time is yeah. It ain't. I, I speak for I speak for myself. Today's time is young people. We're not thinking about that because we're not seeing that. And also, one thing we we can do, and I'm always uh, I'm guaranteed brothers on the call has been doing that. We gotta see. We gotta show them what we're talking about. We gotta show them by example. We gotta show them how not only how we talk among the conscious people, but how we talk in regular day in regular day life. What they see is, uh, you know. How they see is how we represent it. We t- are we really talking and believing what we talking about? Are we just talking about it? That's one thing a lot of young people are gonna see. Are you are you standing on heights in, in today's term? Are you standing on business? You know what I'm saying? So if, if young people don't see you standing on business, really standing on what you were talking about, then they they not really gonna listen and to gravitate towards you as you as, as we all wish to think. But one thing I can say this: we must change the culture. We must rebrand, reconstructure, re how I say reunite a true culture within this culture and infuse that same culture for today's present time. We must be we must understand today's time. We can't be stagnant. We can't be the just the same old ball. You know, if I was a coach and uh a basketball coach, a football coach and I see my team knowing they a bunch of athletes, then hand thing, I'm gonna draw the play but all the time I'm gonna let them, hey, play ball. Do what you gotta do to win the game. But stay on course. But stay on course to the program. Stay on course to the game plan. But I'm gonna let you ball out. I'm not. I'm not going. You know, say, hey, you can't do it. You can't do it. No. It's all about restructuring and rebranding today's culture. And today's culture is not our culture. It's a white man's culture. Let's be. Let's be blunt with it. It's a white man's culture. This ain't no African culture. This ain't no culture to ourselves. It's just a culture where. Uh, a black face, a black uh, high celebrity name, or a black athlete name, you know what I'm saying? But it's not truly our culture. If we, this was truly the culture, then we'd be a hill, a hill of redefined people. But we must understand this culture today's time, and it really uh, is being pushed on young black people. It's not our culture. So we got to be the culture that we're talking about. And the culture, and like I said, culture is your antidote. It's your antidote to the sickness, and the sickness of white supremacy. And so we got to be understanding of today's tone, of today's language, of today's style, 
but also restructure the same style of grassroots and liberation and revolution for our people. And I hope that, that they kind of give a little aspect to that question. Yes, sir. And Elliot, thank you, and thank you, gentlemen. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to come back. It's um, to to more questions in relationship to learning how do we uh, continue our development. Uh, before we uh, take a brief break, uh, two things I want to uh, uh, bring Brother Khalid on to uh, uh, give us a little uh, brief uh, 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 analysis and, and overview of the uh, new African Independence Party up over there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But before we do that. Uh, Brother Quran going to have to step away. Uh, Brother Quran, listen, I'm going to make sure that all of the brothers uh, and and folks that uh, that contact me have uh, have your contact so they can reach out to you, and especially if they're, they're in the New York area where they can join Operation Power. Um, and I know that you have to uh, to leave us. Uh, any words, uh, parting that you want to tell the, the brothers, words of encouragement or, or, or networking, uh, go ahead. The floor is yours. Appreciate it, brother Elliot. Uh, to all the brothers on the call, I'm deeply, deeply appreciated. I was able to share the platform with you, even though it was just an hour. Um, please do share my number so that we can connect, learn from one another, understand what you all are doing in your various cities uh, around the country. Um, you know, and just recognize it's all one struggle. You know, I, I really want to connect in, in that vein um, so that we could just support one another, do more idea sharing. Um, we don't have enough time in our lives to do everything that we need to do. And that's why, you know, the more sharing that we can do, you know, the more effective we can be as a collective. Um, so, again, extremely grateful for the opportunity to be on. I'm sorry that I don't have more time today, but I do look forward to being on in the future and uh, hopefully connecting and being in your cities to get a full-on experience of what you all are doing. So, thank you. Uh, Brother Karan, get, uh, give out the, uh, a number or an email address if, 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 if uh, you want to. Or, or, uh, oh, not a problem. Any of the, um, any of the my, media My phone contact. number is 347- Four nine five two zero eight four. I repeat that three four seven four nine five two zero eight four. I'll drop it in the chat if that's also helpful to the fellas. And um, my email address is K. My last name A L L E Y N E twelve at gmail dot com. I'll repeat it one more time. It's K A L L E-Y-N-E-12 at gmail.com. And uh, do you want to get one for the Operation Power? Um, so I'll just I'll just have the information for okay. me, okay. and I'll get you in touch with our administrator. Good. So. Hey, thanks, brother. And, uh, and we'll be in touch because this is not the only. It, it, these are going to be constant. So uh, <laughs> I'll be in touch with you. Looking forward to it. Thank you, brother. Thanks for your contribution. Take care now. Peace, peace. We go. We're gonna go to uh, to Pittsburgh area and, and uh, get a brief overview of the new African Independence Party with Brother Khalid Rahim. Brother Khalid, can you hear me? Uh, yes. Can oh, you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, can clear. you hear me? Mm -hmm. Oh well, thank you. I'm I'm glad I'm able to get on. I can't stay on very long, but uh, I just want to say. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity and greetings to all the uh, guests for this evening's presentation. Um, as you mentioned, we're located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're the NAIP, New African 
Independence Party. Uh, we've been around about 10 years or so. Uh, we're a revolutionary, independent black political party. We think it's very important to educate black folks politically about developing radical and revolutionary alternatives to not just the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party as well. I heard uh, briefly some of your guests this evening talk about their struggles within their particular cities and states, especially uh, when they have uh, people who look like us who are in power, who may be members of the Democratic Party machine. Uh, they're black people, but they basically uphold and they, up, and they support white supremacy and how difficult that struggle is. And what I'd like to point out is that that is a struggle that is profound all throughout this country, especially when it comes to the political consciousness of black people. It's not just enough to be black today. You have to be black and you have to be principled in your opposition to white supremacy, in your support of self-determination for black people and other oppressed folks as well. And you have to be firm in your opposition to capitalism as an economic model for salvation. And you have to be firm in your opposition to U.S. imperialism, um, i.e. support for Israel versus the Palestinian brothers and sisters or support for um, entities such as the um, International Monetary Fund or the World Bank or NATO or Africa. So you have to be anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist, and you have to be willing to uproot white supremacy. It's just not enough to say that you're black or even to say that you're anti-racist because you could be anti-racist when it comes to black people and still support economic exploitation i.e. capitalism, and still support U.S. imperialism and aggression abroad towards African people and towards other people of color. So it's not just enough to be black. We have to step it up a whole bunch of notches in 2024. So our political party is part of a larger movement, and I think some other folks have already touched upon that. That larger movement is a movement to uh, raise the awareness, raise the consciousness, and organize black folks to be independent in our politics. This is what Malcolm X had talked about uh, 60, 70 years ago. This is what organizations such as the Black Panther Party advocated, uh, both the Black Panther Party that came out of the Lowndes County Freedom Organization, as well as the Black Panther Party that came out of Oakland, California. This is what the Republic of New Africa has been pushing as well. This is what other radical revolutionary formations have been pushing and advocating for decades, that black people, in terms of our politics, it has to be independent. We need not hitch our wagon to the Republicans or the Democrats. Both mainstream political parties have failed the black community, if you look at the history. Historically, we know that the Republicans failed us uh, with the demise and with the destruction of black reconstruction. And then we know that the Democratic Party failed us uh, in the late 60s throughout the early 70s. So it's time for us to pull ourselves together, develop independent black political formation. And it doesn't have to be one political party. It could be several black political parties. But we have to learn how to coalesce and how to support each other. That being said, one of the things that uh, we have been working on in the last few years or so, and the we means several other formations, is something that we now call the National Black Radical Political Congress, which consists of groups of organizations such as Operation Power, Regina People's Progress Party, 
um, in other formations, right? So we've been working together so we can pull this national coalition or this national political Congress together that can advocate and push for radical and independent black political representation and engagement. Black people sitting at the tables of power uh, who create their own tables of power who don't represent either one of the mainstream political parties, but who represent regular grassroots black people, black people who are not celebrities, black people who are not superstar athletes, but black people who get up and work every day or black people who go look for a job every day or black people who are formerly incarcerated and convicted or whatever, or black people who are homeless. We're talking about that element that is often overlooked and forgotten. We hope to represent those folks. So that's what I just wanted to say briefly. I can't stay on the call very long. Uh, my phone number and the phone number to contact the NAIP is 412-606-0059. Um, email, you can go to our website. Well, let me give you the website, uh, which is simply newafrican.org. That's newafrican, that's spelled with a K, dot O-R-G. You can go to our website and you can uh, get more detailed information about who we are or politics and what it is that we hope to accomplish. Brother Clear, Brother thanks for your contribution, man. And it, uh, if you could stay over at the break, that would be good. But if you can't, uh, at least you gave out some of the information. And, and this is, won't be the first, so, uh, you know, this won't be the last time we do this. So we'll be reaching out to you, at, uh, you know, uh, in the future. To, uh, all right, well, get... thank you all. Thank you all. And always, I appreciate the work that you and Brother Richard did. All right. Thank you, Brother. So I'll be for... talking with you guys soon. Thanks, and I'll be in touch. All right, right on. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. You can get involved, too, by dialing 215-490-9832, 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. 
Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com. Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. We are the watchmen on the wall. You are too. You watch with a political eye. We watch from a spiritual eye. But we're supposed to be the watchmen for the people that vote for us. The sad thing is the people vote, but they don't give you the money to run your campaigns. So here come big business. How are you? How are you, Judge? How are you, Alderman? <laughs> How are you, Congressman? How are you? How are you, Reverend? <laughs> well, what can I do for you today, Reverend? You can't do nothing for me. See, that's what we got to be careful of. We got to be careful of who we bow down to. Well, see, when you get in your congregation and you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand, then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of us. In short, the lords of capital are creatures of U.S. imperial dominance. They go out of business when the empire does. The rulers are looking class death in the face, and it terrifies them. And when the lords of capital become frightened, they order their servants in politics and the war industries and the vast national security networks to take care of the problem by any means necessary. 
That means militarily encircling Russia and China, arming and mobilizing tens of thousands of jihadist terrorists in Syria in an attempt to repeat the regime change in Libya, waging a war of economic sanctions and low-level armed aggression against Iran, occupying most of the African continent through subversion of African militaries, escalating subversion in Latin America, and spying on everyone on Earth with a digital connection. All this to stop the clock that is ticking on U.S. and European world economic dominance. The organization of Afro-American unity shall include all people of African descent in the Western Hemisphere. In essence, what it is saying, instead of you and me running around here seeking allies in our struggle for freedom, in the Irish neighborhood or the Jewish neighborhood or the Italian neighborhood, we need to, we need to seek some allies among people who look something like we do. And once we get their allies, it's time out for you and me to stop running away from the wolf right into the arms of the fox, looking for some kind of help. Number two, self-defense. We assert the Afro-Americans' right to self-defense. The Constitution of the United States of America clearly affirms the right of every American citizen to bear arms. And as Americans, we will not give up a single right guaranteed under the Constitution. The history, the history of unpunished violence against our people clearly indicates that we must be prepared to defend ourselves or we will continue to be a defenseless people at the mercy of a ruthless and violent racist mob. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 826 on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. We're in conversation with activists, activists and organizers from powerful formations in several different states. The topic, black independent leadership formations and or the lesser of two evils. You can join this conversation, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, Richard. Yes, yes. Uh, interesting conversation that we had with all of the men when they were involved. Uh, uh, we, uh, we've lost two, but it's still going to be an interesting dialogue because I heard Brother Jaheed mention something earlier about uh, the quadrant that he's working with down in Mississippi. Uh, the average age is 20 to 26, if I, if right. I heard correct. And the the challenges, and it, well, I, I guess I'll put it that way: the challenges that he has in organizing. Uh, you heard Brother Dusak in his part of Mississippi uh, talk about his initiation of hood reform to I like that. to attract young people and and uh, hear their concerns and their approaches. Uh, Brandon 
uh, up there in the uh, DMV area with the Eugenia's People's Progress Party. He talked about the way that they use to attract young people is with uh, some of the activism going on around uh, uh, this Hamas-Israel uh, 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 war uh, uh, and, and other things, police brutality and things like that, and going in there and seeing the people that uh, th- their minds are already interested in activism and kind of mm. gleaning from those people. So we see kind of different approaches from the different men. Uh, right. uh, uh, Brother Karan, uh, that was with us earlier, talked about they use a similar approach uh, that Brother Brandon was talking about, about uh, some of the activism. And in fact, he said that's what attracted him, if you remember, Richard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doing, and their, their whole thing of the science parade, I like that, I like that, um, you know, getting, bringing um, young people together and, and engaging them, yes. So let's go, before I go, because there's a couple of callers popped on, before I go to them, let me go back to uh, uh, to Brother Dubsack down in Holly Springs. Brother Dubsack, you talked about, uh, because you heard some of the other men and uh, and talked about how they, uh, the, the formulas, so to speak, and for lack of a better term, that they used to try to attract uh, some of the young minds. Because believe me, this system is really trying to attract and pool our young minds. Uh, and you talk, you talked about the initiative that you use as uh, uh, and, and and you uh, the acronym you called it was hood reform. Uh, talk a little bit about that and and uh, what kind of in your mind, how is that working down in that in the area of Mississippi that you you are in? Uh, well, hood reform uh, is our uh, approach to solving this problem with with hip hop. Uh, we realize hip hop. Uh, is a tool now being uh, used to really uh, destroy us. Uh, me being a rapper for you know, most of my adult life, I understand the influence of hip-hop and uh, how we can influence the mind with one album, uh, one verse. We can take a child away from a parent after 14 years of up- upbringing. Uh, that's that power of hip-hop. And right now it's being weaponized against us. So through efforts of entertainment, we, uh, we do uh, local concerts, um, things of that nature to try to draw in the youth, to try to edutain them. Um, without so much of the uh, entertainment, but more of the edutaining of them. Uh, it's working out so far. It's, it's a challenge, but we, we're going to stick to it because we know that's the direct form of reaching them. Uh, other ways of reaching out to artists like Project Pat and uh, other artists uh, that I know throughout the industry in this area, in this region, that has a following, trying to get them to uh, take the Hoover Forum as a platform to speak on. And uh, Hoover Forum is just a seven-phase uh, program that we use. It. Uh, we, uh, we sat down with some uh, uh, street uh, organizations, gang members, and uh, other uh, activists in the community that came up with these seven phases. I'm going to run through them real briefly. Uh, phase one is self-reform, which is having a spiritual uh, connection with God. Uh, a one-on-one personal relationship, not not religious, no, no specific denomination over it, just a personal relationship with God. Uh, we have to get our mental and our education um, reformed. Uh, we got to change our mind frame, what we're thinking in the head. Uh, we got to reframe our, uh, reform ourselves, our education. Uh, we all, uh, down here, we went through a 12th grade, 12th grade education uh, called a free lunch. 
uh, well, you know, you're just getting passed through the system, getting a limited education. Uh, the education system is being underfunded, so we know we got to reform out there educationally. Um, next is uh, we got to get a trade. We we encourage them to get a trade, probably uh, name grade. Uh, well, we're not we're not uh, against academics, of course not. Uh, but we let we let them know that you get a trade under your belt uh, down here in the great state of Mississippi. They can't take that from you. They might fire you off a job. They cannot take plumbing. They can't take welding. They can't take barbering. They can't take electrician. They can't take that trade from you. They can only fire you from a job. Uh, and then uh, C and in self reform is our physical. Uh, we gotta get back in shape. And uh, a lot of us uh, stop exercising once we leave high school or college. So we, you know, we, we, we emphasize on physical uh, reform. And we got to watch the food that we're taking in. All this fast food we're taking in down here in Mississippi. Uh, we we fat. We number one for obesity and all the bad health problems. But uh, we did last for all the good stuff. So we encourage uh, physical uh, health, physical reform, uh, food reform, and, and do a lot of more, more, a little bit more exercise than we're doing now. Phase two is political reform. We got to and got to increase our voter turnout. We here in Marshall County have 24,000 registered voters, but we're operating on a four-year voting scale of 6,000 people. But we're leaving 18,000 people at the house, cutting the block, not participating in the process. So we we got to reform our political. Uh, 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 platform here, uh, which we got to increase voter turnout. We got to do. I don't really think we got to do a lot of more voter registration, but we got to do a voter registration every May because we graduate uh, students every year out of five, six high schools in this area. Uh, then we're gonna graduate some 18 year olds every year, so we got to have those voter, regist- voter registration drive. Uh, we got to get more involved by screening these candidates that's running for office and hold them more accountable. So. Um, what they platforms are, and uh, we got to push policies. Uh, that's political reform. Uh, phase three, we got to have economic reform, and we just simply said we got to invest in, in our existing business, black business we have in town, and we got to uh, pool our money together to uh, and create, and, uh, create new business. Uh, we have to get involved in this land sales that we have around uh, in this area. They're selling land and buying up land around us. Some people who are losing their land to tax and other things of that nature. We need to uh, pool our money together as, as an investment group and help uh, save people land and help these landowners develop their land. We have uh, a lot of land here in Marshall County. We're one of the biggest counties, I think the second biggest, largest county in the state of Mississippi, but it's just undeveloped. Uh, we, incre- uh, we encourage all, uh, all our brothers uh, that's listening across the nation, New York, Philadelphia, y'all come on down here and uh, Invest in some of this good fertile land and uh, help develop it and get some business started here. Uh, phase four, which is hip hop reform, um, we 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 encouraging our artists. They got to own their copyright and they got to own the content of their lyrics. Um, we have to change the content. We, we, we know you might not be able to do every song on your album. That's a little bit country. We wish you would, but if you can just do one or two, uh, uh, we got to have a uh, at least an effort from the artist. Uh, that's, that's major is getting this money from the black community, uh, pushing this fifth into the community. We got to at least uh, encourage them to give us some more uh, worthy content that they're, that they're pushing. Uh, second, we need to uh, educate ourselves on the music business. A lot of our youth jump into the business and getting robbed with these 60 to 40 deals, uh, 80 to 20, if you ask me, 
and they robbed them from their publishing and everything. So we have to educate them. They have to educate themselves on the music business. And then we as a public, we need to support more of the independent labels. If they're going to go country, if they're going to go uh, with, their, with this new content, with this new uh, reform mindset, then we have to support them artists. If not, they're going to fall right back down to the, the trap of getting that money, chasing that bag, living their best lives. Then, once we do those two things, then we can we can meet as a collective and go to the radio station owners and the program directors and, gain, and, 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 and force and demand them to change their content that they're pushing into the community. Uh, here, in Hollis, here in this area, we have uh, uh, 97 there in Memphis, which is... Uh, uh, Clear Channel Station uh, that's, that's pushing their kilowatts to all throughout the north region of Mississippi. We have to go and meet with the program directors there and, and get them to change their content and leave it and be serious about it. Uh, not going in there asking, but demanding that we'll pull our advertising uh, from the station and, and, and boycott the station if need be to get them to change their content that they're pushing into the hood. Phase five, I'm going to wrap the thing up. Phase five is street reform. We got to I just tell our youth that is out there in the, in the games, and we got to hit reset, you know. We can't go back and forth. You, you kill one, they kill one. Somebody got to hit reset. It's not a game. We ain't, we're not getting more lives. And it's our position in NAACP. We're done dying. We're done dying. Now, if we can take a stance on police brutality and police killing us, then we damn sure need to take uh, a, a firm stance on the killing that we're doing in the hood. So we got to hit reset. And stop all this uh, back and forth killing. Uh, uh, the next step is we got to tighten up our traffic game. And what we're telling them is, look, brother, so, so they're not getting us at each other's homes. They're not getting us at the club. They're not getting us at the concerts. They're not getting us at the bars. They are getting us in traffic. We got to change our mindset in traffic. You know, here, here in this, in down in the south, some of the brothers seem to feel like every Friday when they get their check or every evening when they get out of work if they got the money. When they go to the corner store and get them a cold one and, and crack that junk open uh, on their way home, they're going to get you for DUI. So we got to tighten up the traffic game because them DUIs are going to lead up to some court uh, fees, fines, some days off work, or possibly if you miss court, some warrants being issued. Uh, you get a couple DUIs down here in Mississippi, you go into prison. So, uh, hey, we got to tighten up the traffic game. And then uh, next step, we got to treat each other. And this, these are simple things, y'all. Uh, we got to treat each other the way we treat us. Something simple. Just think about that. And we tell our young brother, we got to treat each other the way we treat others and treat others the way we treat each other. It's simple. I'm sure everybody gets that picture that I'm, that we painted with that, but that's as clear as we can say it to a six or seven-year-old, you know? Treat, treat, treat each other the way we treat others and treat others the way we treat each other. And the final thing in, in phase uh, five, no more deals in court. No more, no more snitching on each other. If you, 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 you get that charge, take that charge. They're 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 tearing up the hood with that shit here. Uh, they turn each other again. They turn uh, guys that grew up with each other. They might be in the street doing dirt with each other, but the system is turning them against each other. They're sending them back out there on some cheap bones, letting them kill each other. That'll shoot up the neighborhood. So now they can call our neighborhood crime infested. Put another label on to give them more reason. Put blue lights up and more patrollers. So we got to stop that process, and we can nip that in the bud, in the hood, just by changing our mind frame and reforming ourselves in the hood. Uh, phase six is charity. We got to donate and, and give back to our local high school the alumni that we graduate from. 
by forming alumni association, give back and help help fund that education, help change that curriculum, help give that our students and our kids what we say we they need. When we know we're being underfunded by the government, stop asking for help. Be more self-sufficient by simply forming alumni associations and everybody giving back uh, on an annual uh, on an annual thing, annual annual thing. Uh, we have to donate back to our HBCUs. You know, I don't think this is my opinion, and I'm sure we look it up. The facts to prove it. I don't think no HBCU is black. They all being funded by a white dollar somewhere. If it ain't up with the government dollar. We, if we can do that by just giving back. Simply, some of the money we spend in the hood on a gram or on a, on a, on a six-pack, just give back to these local uh, HBCUs and, uh, and your local high schools, and we can change that education program just like that. It's just a reform of the mind, reforming the way you're thinking. Uh, we got to form, we got to donate to our nonprofit organization out there and form new nonprofits to help give us the resources and the things we need within the community. Once again, it's just another step of reforming our minds, being self-sufficient, and not asking for help depending on the government to do anything for us. Uh, in phase seven, it's simply just having to end the conversation if we're having this conversation with a young adult. Most young adults think they're grown when they get a certain age because the parents in the hood and told them, once you turn 18, you can do what you want to do. When you turn 18, you can make your own decisions. We simply tell them age do not make you grown. Um, uh, then some of them think when they start working and paying their own bills that they're grown. Uh, and then and they really get cocky when they when they working and making money and giving back into the and giving back in the house when they helping mom and dad or helping mom with the bills. A young man or a young lady tend to get out their character and talk to their parents like they think they are too grown to, to watch what they're saying. So we tell them then your age that don't make you grown. When you grown when you when you when you when you you're aged out, you're working for yourself, you're helping others. And you're considerate and respectful of others. And truly, we end it with telling them, look here, you're never grown. You're never grown because you should be seeking knowledge and growing to the day you die. That's who we form. And we push that and we try to uh, get our youth attention and change. And we like like our brother Keely uh, was saying down in other parts of Mississippi. We got to change our mind frame. We got to change. We got to reform ourselves. So there's seven phases here we push here in, uh, in Marshall County, and we're going to push throughout the state of Mississippi, hoping to reform our mind frames. We're in a terrible condition, mentally and spiritually here in, in Mississippi. Uh, they got a video out on YouTube showing you all the cities of Mississippi that's drying up uh, and, and dying out. And there's two things that I found very uh, common in all those cities, uh, including my own, if we don't watch ourselves. We'll be in that same uh, condition, which is there were 85 percent of Bible Belt of Baptist churches, and they 90 percent vote Democrat. And I yield my time. <laughs> Richard, um, <clears throat> and 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 Brother Delsack, before you go, and I, I yes, want to mention this to Richard because I heard you say this before in conversation, and you might have said it when we were down there that. Uh, you were an activist in the community, and a lot of times you would speak, but you really couldn't get the people to hear you because you didn't have the vehicle for them to hear you. So when you and, and other brothers and sisters down there 
plan to take control of that NAACP because they were the people that was pushing against you to take control of that NAACP. That gives you a vehicle to be heard now. So now you can call a press conference. You can go into a church or to or have a community center where you might not have had that ability before to speak to that issue before I go to Brother Jaheed. I think I heard. I think you. I think you say this phrase is legacy organizations in the black community. NAACP got to be the one of the oldest ones. It holds the more weight we feel in the black community uh, on the black state of mind. Uh, so uh, we didn't even know our local branch even existed. It was so uh, uh, inactive, uh, and there's a lot of those throughout the state of Mississippi. I'm sure throughout the nation. Because uh, county for county, these these branches are uh, pretty much uh, ran by, I, I say, the elders, the lifers, the ones who got a lifetime membership. Most of them are 65 and older. They don't have the strength or the wherewithal to even uh, fight anymore. And most of them have been in, in the most positions so long that they're in bed with the local politicians, especially the local black politicians. All of them seem to be working for uh, elitism uh, within our community. And uh, while I was noticing that and recognizing that, then uh, we, we galvanized ourselves activists. And, uh, I was, uh, my vice president, uh, I thought his name was Antoine Lester, but I called him Torn G. He ran for sheriff here in uh, Marshall County. Uh, but um, he was doing, you know, we all was doing our thing individually. And I'm sure we, like we like now, uh, in the other quarters of Mississippi, uh, everybody's doing their individual activism. Uh, and you, and you're being effective, you are, but you're not being heard by the masses or respected by the masses uh, like you could and should. So uh, we encourage everybody now. Now we we worked it and uh, and, 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 and came to fruition, and now we're able to stand for our people. And uh, and uh, like the brother said earlier, we, we were able to be out front uh, for our, our, our youth to see us. Speaking up for the least of these, because uh, some of the issues that come our way, a lot of the OEs are saying that's not even an issue for the NAACP. Uh, but I feel that if our people are being affected or they feel like they're being uh, in any situation where they're being unjustly done, then we need to be there. Uh, that's just what I feel like we need to be, and I'm sure whatever they're being, uh, their issue is, I guarantee you it falls on the platform of the NAACP. I give, it, I give the organization its props. It has a, a blueprint uh, laid out, or a black print laid out over the years that were guaranteed to uh, protect the community, uh, to give us uh, some uh, some uh, sense of hope that this organization that will fight for us or there's some, there's some people out there that will fight for us. The blueprint is there. The black print is there. It's just most of the uh, the branches are not working them because of the, the, the age bracket or the, the lack of effort because they're in bed with the politician, whether it be black or white. Uh, so we encourage uh, every county uh, throughout the state of Mississippi and all those who are listening to the uh, sound of our, my voice now uh, on, on, this, on this podcast broadcast is uh, your local branch. It's state by county, not by city, by county. Uh, join your local branch of the NAACP. Uh, recruit, recruit, recruit like-minded thinkers. Those who want change, those who want to stand up for the least to be in the community, and and fight for all the injustice that we fight in court, and uh, and not only fight uh, against the injustice, but fight for policy to be passed. Uh, 
You know, we just feel like if we take over the local branches, which can be like a union for black workers, black teachers, uh, the, uh, the black common uh, blue-collar worker. We don't have unions down here in Mississippi, so uh, uh, we feel like we can work, we can act as something like a union for the people, uh, give them some sense of uh, protection, or some sense of hope. But if we, if we take over, the, uh, and I say that strongly, when I say the word take over, I know exactly what I'm saying. We have to take over the local branch of the NAACP, take over these uh, election commissioners, Take over the Democratic Executive Committee, or I suggest we go and form some new parties. If it's going to be a two-party system, and we got to keep picking the lesser two evils, then we might well going to be a righteous people and stand for what's right and pick our own party. And we're going to, we're going to suffer if we, we vote against one of the two parties. Either way it goes. <laughs> so all that old bit about if you vote, you take you vote for the other party. I'm vote for the, for the candidate that I'm voting for. And we just got to, as a people, those who really want change and liberation for our people and sick of these Democrats uh, and, and sick of these Republicans lying to us. And we need to have a more radical approach when it comes to uh, our political uh, uh, stance. And I believe, yeah, if we take over the election commission, take over these uh, Democratic executive parties, or take over the Republican Party, whichever party is strong in your area, and, and, and reform it come up with our own platform and stand on that platform. And I feel like it don't matter uh, what candidate we, we, we select to elect. If you don't go along with this platform, buddy, you ain't got long. You know, but if we, we work the process right, then we not only we have the agenda that we are pushing, but we have the candidates that we elected to get those agendas passed and get those agendas pushed and put ourselves on a four or eight-year plan because the election cycle is every four to eight years. So if we put ourselves on, on, on more, uh, a more realistic platform, a realistic timetable and with an agenda, uh, that's what we suggest to being done. That's what we're trying to work here in Marshall County and suggest we do throughout the state of Mississippi. Uh, Brother Jaheed. Brother Jaheed. Yes, you mentioned about the... Uh, in, 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 the, in the, your quadrant, the young people that's involved, 20 to 26. And we, uh, I think we're getting it. Okay. I guess we'd be all right because your phone, your phone was kind of going in and out. The 20 to 26. Uh, the, question, the question I want to ask, because some of the men talked about ways that they're using to attract young people. Uh, when myself and Richard was down uh, uh, in Jackson, we seen a lot of the sisters that were involved, uh, brothers and sisters, but the, the, we had dinner, there were several sisters at our table that was involved with the Delma Gerano Repack Gun Club, which is uh, linked at the hip with Mississippi on the move. And, uh, and a lot of the women mentioned that they got involved because they wanted to learn how to uh, use a weapon properly and and learn how to shoot. So talk about it from that aspect as far as uh, the attraction to to young people, to, to women, uh, to, to even young men, to kind of use that as a carrot to get them involved in, in, in uh, the organizations. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And like I said, uh, Elma Jerome, Mississippi, and uh, the National um, 
aspect of the, of, of the 2A movement is needed within our communities. See, one thing that Brother Malcolm said many moons ago, and when I say many moons ago, we saying it wasn't that long time ago. Many moons ago, Brother Malcolm said it's the ballot or the bullet. And that people uh, romanticize that because they think, oh, we still talking about shooting people down like that. No, it's the, what the gun and the bullet represent, that we're willing to take it that far. It needs to. It needs to be when it comes to our community and to our people and to sustain and protect any type of resource, any type of uh, personality or rise within our, within ourselves and our community. We're going to protect that to a fact. I think that's one way to... Um, to gravitate, uh, like I said, the women, uh, young black, uh, young black men, and particularly, in particular, the young black men, because a lot of times, he, the what goes on in our communities, uh, um, and I don't like to use the term black on black crime, because that's a liberal term and aspect. But they're saying when brothers attack one another, you know, it's always uh, a stray bullet hitting a young child, hitting a young woman, or hitting an elder in, the, in our communities. It's always a stray bullet. So, if anything, young brothers who have guns need to understand how to shoot guns and know how to properly lower a gun, how to clean a gun, so there won't be no accidents within the home. This comes with gun education. And like I said, America don't have a, a, a gun problem. We have an education problem. We have a people problem. So one thing is not about the guns, because people shoot the guns. You know what I'm saying? Ain't the guns shooting themselves. So one thing we got to have is proper education to, how you say, to use guns. And I tell young brothers all the time, why we don't use the gun on ourselves? You know what I'm saying? Why we won't use it against our own people and our own community, our own resources? Because they come with education. They come with, I said, real. We forming the mind. You know what I'm saying? So with the two-way movement, and it's back to your question, to the question of, of uh, galvanizing young women, women involved, and um, black, young black youth involved, it's all about gravitating what casts the eye. And what casts the eye is music. What casts the eye is the the aspect of the gun in some cases. And not the cases that people, like, oh, well, we just want to shoot people down. Nah. It's what the gun and the bullet represent in this nation, and particularly for our people in this nation, and particularly in the state of Mississippi. So that's one way we can gravitate and they say galvanize the energy is to catch what or what cast the eye and sometimes even what cast the ear and what cast basically what cast the senses, you know what I'm saying? What cast the senses. And one thing aspect is the gun, represent the gun, the two A movement. And one way it's the culture, it's the hip hop culture, it's the culture of ourselves to gravitate and also of uh, togetherness and community and, and really just coming together as a people, to live ourselves as a people, as a righteous people. No matter what you are, uh, I, I say how you label yourself. But they all send back to your question, brother Alien, brother Richard. It's about uh, even with the guns. If we gotta, we got to cast the eye and cast the ear of our people, and particularly the present generation and this present energy of this generation. Thanks for your comments, brother. Let's go to uh, let's try a couple of these callers. Let's go to uh, back to Pittsburgh, caller. Oh, let me. Caller, can you hear me? Let me put them back. Let me put them back on hold. Let's go to 617. 617. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. How are you? 
Brother Sadiki, how you doing? Oh, how are you, sir? Yes, sir, doing fine. From the Nubian Leadership Circle up there in Boston. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, actually, I'm in Boston, but it's based in D.C. Okay. And so I've been listening in, and um, very interesting conversations. Let me just say this. I'm a grandfather. I've been in there quite a, a long time. And when I hear conversations about taking over the NAACP and, you know, some of these longstanding organizations that have been out here, they have a specific philosophy that they're not going to abandon. And so, you know, putting in that type of energy versus, particularly with young folks, that, you know, we need to move in a, an, another direction now. With the Nubian Leadership Circle, we've been in existence for a little over three years, and our mission is about, you know, coalition building, bringing them together different organizations, maintaining their sovereignty, but then at the same time, sharing ideas and resources. And so we've got uh, folks from all across the country, um, also in um, London, uh, Paris, and Haiti, who are involved with us. And so um, what I'm saying essentially is that, you know, folks need to be looking in terms of what can be created that, you know, will resonate out here now in terms of our moving together as a people. So I'm encouraging folks who I've heard who clearly are sincere in terms of their intent to look in terms of what what can be created to move in the direction of liberation for us and first and foremost, what we can just do for ourselves. So I'm not knocking the NAACP and things of that nature. I'm just saying that particularly for our young, and let me just say that our young folks, at least from my observation, are looking for something different and something that says, what is there out there that has an independent mindset versus looking to someone else to move us forward in the direction we need? So um, I'm suggesting to folks, they can go to our website. It's uh, www.nubianleadershipcircle, nubianleadershipcircle, one word, dot org, and check out what we do. And we don't say to folks, okay, now that you're here with us, you know, we do have eight uh, cadres, working groups, but we don't tell folks this is what you have to do. What it is is that folks come up with their ideas and their various cadres to implement in terms of moving in the direction that we need to move in independently. So our whole, our whole philosophy is about how do we circle our wagons and build our own nation within a nation. And that seemingly is appealing to a lot of the young folks who are working with us. So I just Thought I'd put that out there and see what kind of feedback you might get from your your audience in that regard. Give give me your give me that uh, uh, website again and give me the contact numbers. Okay, it's uh, Circle. That's all one word. NubianLeadershipCircle dot org, and the number is two zero two nine two two six five. And we welcome black folks on board who bring their ideas and uh, your energy. Like I said, I'm a grandfather. We're looking to get as many young people involved as possible. We've got quite a few. We're always looking for more. Brother Siddiqui, thanks for your work. Talk to you soon. Likewise. Peace. Let's go to 602. 602. Yes, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard, greetings and greetings to your guests. Brother Marcos here from Memphis. Yes, sir. 
you know, I like what the brother say from Marshall County. That brother make a lot of sense. See, what him say about Marshall County because um, in 2017 here in Memphis, they were selling, the city were selling lots for pennies on the dollar. Pennies, you could pick up a 50 by 100 lot for 50 bucks. Um, now, you're not going to see that because investors have come in and bought up practically everything. So it's it's real scanty. But what he said here make a lot of sense. And especially for blacks who live up north with what's taking place now with the influx of these people coming in from every every which we are and coming to, to undermine us because those people now they're gonna work for pennies on the dollar, you know, they'll take anything. They'll take a job, they'll take a I pay you five dollars an hour, yes. So they're going to undercut our economy. So we really should think about having an exodus back south. Plus all if, um, the big auto, auto manufacturers are moving south anyway. You see, as you say, Ford moving south. A lot of these big companies, they're moving back south. So it's ample time now for us to organize ourselves and we have the organizations because we hear organizations right here so it just know to connect the dots we can create jobs for our young people greenwood mississippi it's vastly underpopulated marks mississippi clocks clocks you know deal these place we can all populate these these places because the infrastructure is still there they still have a sewage system. They still have a have a, a, a electric system. You know, the infrastructure is there. What is missing is people. And you know, I have lived up in New York for many, many years. And a lot of people up there, they're like, "Oh, I ain't gonna move back down now." Look, them old people, them old white people, don't die off. <laughs> okay, a lot of them old rednecks don't die off. So, you know, it's time for, for you to come back and reclaim this, reclaim Mississippi, reclaim these places, because as the brother said, you could get land down here, cheap, cheap, cheap. And some of them projects up in New York, they, they, they pay them people to get out. Mm. Even them $25,000, say, look, you need to get out of here. You could take that $25,000 and do something down here. You ain't going to do nothing with that 25000 up there. I'm telling you. So... It's organization time for 2024. We gotta start thinking because it's through thinking we're gonna get out of the predicament that we are in. And I yield the floor. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for your contribution, sir. No problem. No problem. <clears throat> hey, brother Dubsack, you, you heard the man. He, 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 he he's in your camp. Hey, <laughs> I was astounded the whole time he was talking because hey, I totally agree with him. Now this is a, this is a prime time to come back to Mississippi. Actually, right now we see a function weight of uh, residents coming out of Memphis, uh, uh, coming out of uh, actually as far as Nashville, coming down buying up this uh, buying property and homes here in the Marshall County area. And these are uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sure in some markets it's probably seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollar homes. But they're getting them from two hundred fifty thousand here, uh, two or three two or three uh, garages, 
you know, hey, the, the nice homes, but they out in the country. Uh, our crime rate is, is low, uh, practically almost none. If there's a crime going on, it's because they have it. They involved with the police, and I, and I say that candidly because it's true. Uh, we're not a, it's not a crime infested area. Everybody here has been here for years. Uh, homeowners, the landowners. So it's a prime opportunity to come back, even to get into cattle, uh, get into farming, uh, growing our own crops. We got to create these jobs. We got to create these opportunities. And real quick to speak on the brother before, the last brother, uh, I understand any opposition when it comes to the NAACP. I was very critical of the NAACP, but it has its advantages. It has its purpose, and we're going to use it for that purpose. Um, uh, but we, but if you, if you can tell, as Brother Patrick say, we have reconfigured the DNA, uh, and we're still reconfiguring the, 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 the DNA of the NAACP by reaching out to other organizations like his, like his organization. Uh, I'm going to go on here later and get his information and reach out to him and network with him. Uh, we're not closed-minded. Uh, the leadership here in Marshall County is not closed-minded. Uh, we stick to the platform, and we work the platform for our people. But we're doing other things outside of the platform. Uh, we're doing other things besides uh, president of the NAACP, like uh, on this call here. Uh, uh, I'm reaching out and networking, uh, seeing what I can learn to help uh, uh, implement here in the area. So the old DNA compared to the new DNA. Um, we're not closed-minded. We're reaching out and uh, and informing. NAACP facet is on a small uh, one fact one factor when it comes to the Mississippi on the move. Uh, we, uh, we try to galvanize uh, every organization that's doing good in the community for our people and truly for our liberation of our people. Uh, we're not let anything divide us. Let me grab a couple more of these calls. Let's go to uh, New York. Back to New York City. Greetings, brother. This is a black man screaming. This is Brother Maurice come out of New York. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, very interesting conversation. I want to salute all of the brothers that are um, involved in the various areas. I always find it interesting that um, people think that uh, A plus B equals C everywhere. It depends on what the what the A and the B equals to, but the bottom line C is the liberation, right? So, Brother Dubsack, I salute you and get you and every little brothers because your solution is unique to your area. Not every area, is, the solution is it resolves the problem. So I salute you for that. As I'm sitting up here and I was thinking about the questions that Brother Richard asked y'all, and I was just laughing because I'm looking at Clyburn talking about Biden, how he's not talking up uh, what what uh, the Democratic Party has done for them. <laughs> yeah. And we see it. And, and we... And then you have somebody like uh, Charlemagne, the guard, talking about, you know, he's the same thing. It's like a narrative as if black people are too ignorant to understand what their needs and their wants are and what their desires are in their particular community. And, and of course, you know, Malcolm will tell you that we don't listen to people that have that, that, uh, uh, been co-opted, and both of them that I just mentioned are co-opted. So it, 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 what, what I want to ask you, brothers, if I, if I can, is what, what what about your online presence? How have you connected with your, the youth online? Because I just was going through some numbers, and it says that black youth spend more time online than any other group. Any other group. We spend 58% of our time online. 
And so the problem is whatever is the messages are online is 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 where we get into the problem because you know um what did Stephen Beagle talk about the, the mind right he talked about the, the people talk about decolonizing the mind and we got people over here that are um in the street but and, and again you might get angry about this but I'm gonna say it we got people in the street worrying about um Gaza and you got Gaza in your own damn community <laughs> you got people killing each other in our own communities we got we got situations you would think if you, if you walked around, you would be in the street about that. So my my concern is that we don't recognize love for ourselves, well, because we don't see ourselves, we don't see something to love, and we got to change that particular narrative. He said, because the, the way I feel about myself is the way I feel about my brother. When I look in the mirror and I see a brother walking down the street, then I love him the same way. That's how me and brother Elliot and brother Richard connected. Because I have a love for black people, and I say I'm, I'm going to change the narrative of how we talk about black people by creating the show, which I've been on the air 25 years doing it. So again, I, I, I want to ask you, brothers, in terms of what what is your connection online, and how are you reaching out to young people online? And then I, I will uh, get off the line and shut up. Uh, you, you you want you want to say on, and, and uh, I just have them, or you just want to listen to the answer? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stay on. Go ahead. Okay, let me go to. Uh, I'll, I'll go to Brother Brandon first because he ain't been on for a while. Brother Brandon. Brother Brandon. Yes, yes, I'm here. Yes, um, thank you for that. I think the brother made um, an astute point about the connection online because I myself have a child and she does use the online presence, even though they're young, but they're online. I, I would say yes, as far as. The UPP, as far as Eugenia People's Progress Party, one of the tools we do use, we do ballots and bullets. Ballots and bullets video blog where we discuss local topics, regional, national, and even global to be able to have a concise analysis of what we understand from independent political African perspectives. And we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well that point to what you were thinking, which is very astute about, you know, how do we connect? I do believe that that is value, valuable and, and it's salient, to, to say the least. And for myself, who does know how to navigate the virtual world, I still have my own contradictions that exist inside and outside of it. Rather, I'd rather address the outside, the interpersonal ones, where at least I can go to a local church, I can go to a local school, I can go to a PTA board at my child's school or anywhere else and build interpersonal connections on how we can build community around social events, around fun days, around mutual aid events in person, and we publicize those events online, not to be able to say, look at the good work that we're doing, but to realize that we, we too, are working together towards some common solutions around multifaceted issues, but to your point about reaching and reaching out to youth online, we are engaged. We do have, you know, a little set of followers. And when I say little, I'm not making it as if in a finite or nominal value. I would say more or less that we can do better. But I think that right now the purpose is to be able to struggle for an in-person struggle. So when we have that online presence, it's not a thing of that. We're popular and we're ubiquitous all over the internet, but rather we're more ubiquitous in person on the ground struggle and connecting with folks from city to city, from county to county, state to state, and trying to reach out 
you know, in other parts of the land, wherever we is, can have some positive influence. Yeah, you know, brother, and the reason I, I, I raised the question, and Richard know where I'm going, because um, Club Shay Shay, that, the Cat Williams video, got 31 million hits in four days. Imagine if we got 31 million people listening to you, intelligent, gifted, committed black men, what we could do. All yeah, right. we, we definitely solicit for some donations towards building, you know, independent political programs, like that programs, for helping people to pay their rent, helping people with their mortgages, helping people with their taxes to stay in their home. I'm, I think that that is very much a viable solution. Where if 31 million people can see a conversation, then that's 31, that's a dollar or 50 cents. If that's not 31 million, then at least could be half of that, you know, 15 five. If you're asking for 50 cents per person that's watching, to be able to contribute towards some nation building skills to actually being able to take the brothers off the corners and a lump and proletariat and not even say take them off as if grab them by the collar, but if need be, say, hey, you know, man, look, we can pay you to help us move the community in, into a upward trajectory, you know, just able to reinvest in ourselves in our areas just off of having 31 million people alone watching us and monetizing those but I like the way you think, brother. I, I definitely appreciate that. Definitely, and, definitely and the thing, the thing that I thought was interesting about the studies I was reading, the the lower the income, the more time they spend online. So it was online a distraction. So we need to find a way to distract them from the distractions they're finding online. Because the lower the income, the the more time they spend online. Why is that? What are they? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, I call it. It's, they're escaping from something. They're escaping from their lives. And the thing is, though, I, 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 when I go in and speak to schools, I don't do it as much as I used to. I, the first thing I always tell them is the way you live at is not a hood. It is a neighborhood. A hood is a, construct, is a construct that's made up by somebody to give you an excuse not to achieve. All of the negative things in there. You think the things that are, that are happening in our community don't happen in other communities? They damn sure do. I don't want to give you any excuse. Now, I'm not going to say it's, 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 everything is wonderful, but I see a lot of black people getting up every day going to work. I see taking their kids to school, playing in the parks or whatever. Last time I checked, that was a neighborhood. Brother Maurice, thanks for your contribution, man. Okay, brothers. Peace. Let's go to 647 in Toronto. 647. Toronto. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, I wanted to know, pardon me, I haven't heard the whole show, but um, I wanted to know what the uh, brothers feel about the book that uh, Charles Blow wrote about the devil uh, you know, a black people, a black power manifesto. Charles Blow, I think, uh, was born in Louisiana, and he writes for the New York Times, but he's advocating that... uh, African people, uh, many of us should, should migrate back south and create a, uh, uh, you know, take advantage of, of the majority and uh, you basically take over. I didn't hear the whole show, so I, I might be, you might have talked about that. I know that's part of your, your, your position. I'd just like to get you to clarify that. 
No, well, we didn't mention the uh, blow, but uh, I'll uh, let uh, the folks that's on still on with us talk about it. Uh, Brother Brandon? You repeat that? Uh, he mentioned uh, your opinions on Charles Blow, his book, and uh, he did a documentary movie in reference to uh, uh, black folks moving back south, reverse migration. Oh, the re- yeah. yes, the re-migration. Um, yes. Yes, I believe that that question, even even of itself, is often a matter of the material means of who's moving and exactly what people are going to. Because just like the migration up north was done in the past to escape racial oppression and tyranny, only to face racism with a smile and smile instead of a straight face and handshake down south, down the southern borders, like lower or the lower rungs of the, the country to the nation, the remigration is often just coming back so should be met with question of material and a political agenda, being able to say exactly are we looking to establish new African a republic of new Africa? Are we establishing a new province? Are we seceding? Are we coming into our own community? Are we being welcomed back from family members who we have to learn to get connected to. And I say that honestly with, with, with all sincerity because I'll even speak in my own contradiction and struggle, which I've always been on this call and look forward to in every way in the struggle is if I don't know my aunts and my uncles down south, which is something I need to get to know, or others up north in different parts of the country, then it would be a matter of I know where I would like to be, but I also have to understand how I'm getting there and what I'm going to and, and establishing that communication, which I think is good to have conversations with people from across the country and from across the land to be able to know exactly what material means do I bring and what skill sets am I offering for migration to that book that was mentioned. So I think that people in general in America, it's hard to be doing a remigration phase. It's often met with a material question. And it needs to be with the political analysis on exactly what are our politics, what are our agendas, and how do we a level or platform and continue that necessarily migrate into a new form of neocolonialism and microstate, but rather we're coming together as a conclusion to be able to build a whole new status apparatus for ourselves that is diametrically opposed to the U.S. and everything that it stands from imperialism, racism, and sexism. And I think that has to be expounded. Being able to move from one place to another without an idea on why you're going, and also what's on the heart and the mind that you wish to remigrate with, and also end up being ruined the place that you're going to while leaving the one that you're at, not just in a worse or better condition, but in no condition at all. Um... Uh, you know, Brother Dovesack kind of spoke on that issue already, but I'll, I'll get him and Brother Jahi to uh, Brother Dovesack. Did you? Um, uh, I know that you're familiar with the book uh, that Charles Blow wrote, and uh, I don't know whether you saw the documentary movie in relation to the question that the uh, the gentleman for Toronto asked. Uh, well, I had a chance to check out the documentary. I hadn't read the book yet. Um, what I took from it, I, I agree with most most of it. I didn't have too much that I disagree with him on. Uh, I noticed that um, 
uh, most of the uh, most of the ones he was talking to was middle class black. Uh, uh, I have no problem with that because we need we need everybody to come back, uh, migrate back south, whether it be Mississippi, Georgia, or Alabama. Uh, bring it, bring those tangible resources. Uh, having a comprehensive plan put together on your objectives. What are you coming back for? Uh, I agree with the brother just now. Uh, you coming back uh, to be a part of the same system that you're leaving from upstate? Then no. Uh, uh, we, we're on a more black power movement here. Uh, and that simply means black folks controlling every aspect of their lives, every aspect of their lives. Uh, so we need we need we need uh, educated people uh, to come back. We need comprehensive plans. We need accounts. Uh, those I'm not. We're not. When we speak, we speak with a broad brush. But I'm sure. I'm hoping we all are you know, understanding that it has to be a comprehensive plan, uh, thought out, well thought out, put together on this great migration. Are we simply saying that time is now? Uh, we can accommodate it. Uh, if we're in these big cities, wishing that we had the majority to vote this way or to do this or do that. We have that unique opportunity here. We have the people power here. Uh, well, we are already the majority. Um, the majority is just now actively responding in the proper manner that they need to uh, react or respond to these problems. Um, uh, so we encourage, I'm not going to discourage any any migration. We encourage all migration back. Uh, I, I, matter of fact, I encourage the youth now when they graduate, most of us still our sons and daughters to go out and become some. Because uh, Mississippi ain't got nothing to offer, uh, I tend to tell them to go off and become uh, become great, uh, uh, get active in whatever community you're in, but then bring whatever you learn back home to help better home, to help better Mississippi. Uh, and it's just how I am. Uh, uh, back to that uh, 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 our presence on online piece, uh, that question. Uh, we, yeah, we are very uh, actively online. Uh, I'm sure, like most, we can do more to try to reach our youth online. Uh, we don't have all our members participate uh, on an online presence, but uh, we have quite a few that are online trying to reach the youth uh, with posts and engagement and, and their inbox and, uh, and, and interacting with them. But i tell you this, uh, like most things, uh, Brother Eddie and Brother Richard, uh, when, you, when, you, when you go into the hood, when you go into the neighborhood, and try to reform the hood. You're gonna be met with rogue officers and evil black and and white people who don't want the hood to change. Who don't want the, the hood to become a neighborhood again. And we, I find that same resistance online from my own my own kind. So if I'm if I'm online uh, trying to reach the youth, and uh, no matter what the content is, I'm trying to relate politics or these life situations to them. Uh, they'll they'll try to come on there and critique me. Uh, the youth don't say anything. The youth are only liking or sharing or whatever. But I, I find that the resistance comes from them 40, 50 year olds and up. They want to come on there and make their comments, you know, and and, uh, and try to discourage what you're saying to the youth. And you're only trying to reach the youth uh, to try to get them engaged and, and turn them on to what's going on around them. Uh, so th- I wanted to add that to that piece that, uh, yes, we, we have an online presence. We need a better online presence, I would say. But we get a, we get quite a resistance from uh, 50-year-olds and up 
uh, who seem to don't want us to talk to their kids or uh, they have a different uh, uh, belief system. Uh, and they don't really believe, you know, because we speak of black power now. We got to realize when we speak of black power to black people uh, who, who, who are thinking like they're slave masters, they tend to think of white power. The only power they know, the only power they, they can think of is white power. And white power has been very abusive and, and, and unjust. So if you start thinking black, if you start saying black power, our people instantly start thinking that we want to reverse the hand. So we're in a unique, we're in a complicated situation where we're trying to encourage them to believe in black power, but at the same time, we have to explain to our people what is black power, what black power look like, what it would look like, what it would be like. Thanks for your uh, analysis, Brother Dubsack. Let's go. Brother Jaheed. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Did you, uh, I don't know whether you caught the question that Brother asked from Toronto about your opinions on uh, Charles Blow. Yes, sir. And yes, sir. And, and all the brothers who, who commented, like Brother Dubsack, uh, Comrade Dubsack, hit it on the head. We must migrate back to the south, and like, and we call Mississippi, Mississippi. And one thing, I, let me explain something to Mississippi to the callers. It's coming from a young mind perspective who was born here, and like I said, I made the commitment and responsibility to build it into a mecca. Mecca is something of uh, something right, something true to uh, to our people. So we try to turn Mississippi into a mecca, into a jewel of the south. You know what I'm saying? Back to the jewels itself. Back to what we are. And like I said, black power stems from Mississippi. It comes from this state. So everything we hear something about black power, think about Mississippi. Think about Mississippi. We ain't helpless down here. It's time to redefine, reunite the energy of black power that was born in this state, in Greenwood, Mississippi, by Kwame Ture, Baba Kwame Ture and Baba Makasa Dada. Who was twenty? Who was between twenty, uh, 20 and twenty-five when they made that day announcement in the state? So let's do that one. Let's let's make that one thing clear. Mississippi is not helpless. So what we need for people who is from Mississippi who went up north, went out west, went out east, to come back to your mecca that your grandmama and your granddaddy and their mama and daddy built off of their sweat and blood and tears. That's one thing we gotta understand. This Mississippi is not helpless. We ain't helpless by any means. So I, I want that to be very clear and very uh, effective when I say that. This is from 24 going on 25. This is my state. We ain't helpless. We're trying we try to reform, rebrand, reignite, and re how you say it, change the DNA of our state. We ain't helpless. We're trying to get that reignite, that fire, to help us pull from like High Booker T. Washington say, pull from our bootstraps. So and that's one thing uh, about that to social media aspect. We got to uh, create content that's going to catch the eye, like, like I said before. And like the, the, uh, with social media and TikTok, the average uh, attention span is about 10 to 15 seconds. So we got to have something, content, and even not, not even about videos or shorts like that, but we got to have uh, platforms just like this and platforms like Mr. Blue Move podcast like that to have these type of outlets, these type of conversations, and talk to young black people and see what's on their mind. And really see, okay, what's in their mind, what's in their heart, so therefore what we got with knowledge, what we got with consciousness, and to instill that into young black people's mind. Go understand that these black children is coming out of a doctrinate system from first grade or pre-K all the way to high school and even to, into higher education, into the colleges. 
So, you know, it's like I say, when a young black people hear black power, they think like how dub that said white power, but that's not the case. That's never been the case. So, therefore, we got to, how I say, reestablish and reunite the, the energy of black power, particularly in the state, and particularly for young black people within the state, to understand what black power is. Because black power is their root, it's their uh, function within the state, within their state, within their future of the state. So, understand that and be clear and to affect us. And like I say, hey, Mississippi is not helpless. And one thing with, with uh, the remigration, yeah, come back to the South. Come back to Mississippi. Come back to Alabama. Come back to Georgia. Come back to Louisiana. Come back to Arkansas. Come back to Tennessee. Come back to Florida. Well, I don't know about Florida right now, but I saw it go Excuse me for that. Excuse me for that. But Florida, yeah. That's the Carolinas, but come back to come back to the South that your foreparents, that your ancestors <laughs> built from the uh, blood, sweat, and tears. Excuse for that joke. I, I didn't mean to put your joke in there, but yes, come back to the South and come back to the Jewel, come back to the Mecca, Mississippi. And, re, and, and I think one thing I say this and to be 24, 25, we got to build something to give to our people in this state. Like, we don't got to go to Memphis, we don't got to go to no Atlanta, we don't got to go to no New Orleans. Let's do something in our state to give young black people to uh, build off from. Like, so we ain't helpless. We, we, we've never been helpless. It's all about reuniting the energy to give us something to build something in this state. Like I said, we, we don't want to go outside of our state to build something. We want to build something within our state, within our bloodline, within our roots. So it's time for us to really build that and build a platform within the state in all facets, in entertainment, music, athletics, and anything that catches our people's eyes and catch the ear of our people, even catch the senses of our people. We got to build this within the state. We ain't helpless. I'm going to keep on saying that because I want that to be very clear and be very effective. We ain't helpless in Mississippi. So don't think, oh, Mississippi don't know what they're doing. No, we know exactly what we're doing. It's all about reuniting and revitalizing the energy of this state of black power. Black power is born here, and black power going to ever be here. It's got to be represented and modernized in a new, true fashion. Now, you're my time. Uh, Toronto, did you get your answer? Uh, I got that and more. I just wanted to say that uh, I agree with the brother because uh, my grandmother, who was uh, one of the sharpest people I ever met in my life, she was born in Goodman, Mississippi, so I know a little bit about Mississippi. Okay. Mm, thanks, sir. Uh, listen, thanks thank for your, you. Thank you for your contribution. All right, thank you. Let's go to 215-215-215. Good evening, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. To all your distinguished guests, Brother Domstack, Brother Jahade, and everybody, who, anybody else I might have missed. How everybody doing tonight on this uh, you know, cold Sunday night here in Philly? How everybody doing? Everybody's good. Uh, praises be to Allah. You know, I'm just listening to the show, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard, and to your distinguished guests. I'm just listening to all the good information coming across when, when Brother Dubstep mentioned about the black power and, and Brother Jahid a minute ago about black power. Maybe think about the series on Eyes on the Prize. You know, what, you know this, it's not just the young blacks, these black people, even older blacks, middle, middle-aged blacks, because, like, I remember one of the clips on Eyes on the Prize that PBS did the series where... I think uh, but the brothers, I think a couple of brothers just said when they heard 
you know, the nation of Islam say black power, the, the, the black man and stuff, is, the black man is God, or they were saying, well, Kwame Ture saying black power, a lot of sisters and brothers, they was honest when they documentary, they said they scared them. Cause they scared. They never heard, you know, black people talk like that. So, so they said that that when, when, when Malcolm X and, and and people like Kwame Ture were saying black power raising the fist, they said they were saying stuff to white people that they wanted to say for years, but were scared to say. So, I mean, it definitely has an effect. You know, what I'm saying that it, it definitely had an effect with that strong words from these strong black men like a Malcolm X or Kwame Ture. Just saying that black power it like enthused a lot of black people that want, like I said, that wanted to say those things that were scared to say it. And especially some of our people in the South and I, and I guess small people in the North too, you know. But my whole thing is that the, the thing, the reason I like about this program tonight is that it shows that we have an alternative to the Democrat Party, you know what I mean? Because I get, because hey, I, I just wish Brother Dobstack and, and, and Brother Jihad and all the other sisters and brothers that, 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 that from Mississippi and other places can come to from, from Pittsburgh and come to Philadelphia and rejuvenate our, our black uh, voting base because cause, cause here in, in Philadelphia, I can honestly say, you know, we, you know, I, too many of our black politicians, they keep our people in a subservient slave position to the Democrat Party. Or they keep telling our people that if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you know, you're going to get Donald Trump. I get so tired of hearing that, that, that nonsense, that scare tactics and stuff. I mean, you see it starting up already when, you know, with, like, Brother Reese about Clyburn. So that's going to be the, that's going to pretty much be the playbook leading up from now to November. They're going to be sending Barack Obama, Kamala Harris, Al Sharpton, all these Negroes around to the black communities throughout the country, especially in a city like Philadelphia, to scare black people with the boogeyman stuff. Oh, my God, if y'all don't let me let Trump dig back in there. I've heard some of our people get so stupid to the level they even say, say statements like, if Trump gets back in there, black people can be put back in slavery. I mean, I've heard all kinds of ludicrous things like that. You know what I mean? So, you know, so it's, it's clear that we need... Uh, we need people like y'all in Philadelphia. I mean, you know, if we could just be, be model y'all and, and, and duplicate y'all, because we need that kind of mindset in Philadelphia they, 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 to waking our people up. Because I'm telling you, some of our people, they got that mindset. They have really beat our people up to the point where they actually think that, and, and they're sad thinking that if Trump get back in there, we going we going back in chattel slavery. I mean, this is real. I mean, this is no joke. I mean, this is the kind of mindset our people are dealing with here in Philadelphia, man. It's all because these black politicians they keep our people thinking like that, you know. So we definitely need a change in, the, in a mindset, you know. And and, I, and, I, and on the Charles Blow documentary, I did brother Saladin did send me a thing about Charles, but I read it on my phone the other week, and I agree with many like brother Dubs that said I, I agree with many things that Charles Blow said in that in that piece, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm definitely down with that, you know, because you see, we as a people. We face uh, many myriads of problems and, and things going on because, like I said, I, I, I just want to kind of you know, go back to what Brother Arise was saying. Me as a black man and a Muslim, a person that care about humanity, we definitely got a guys that's going on in, in, in Philadelphia like we have in New York. But see, me, I take the position of both. I can, I can care about the black men killing each other in Philadelphia, and I also care about Palestinian brothers and sisters and babies dying in Gaza. I can walk and chew gum at the say I care about both. I don't think one has to counsel out the other because I'm a humanitarian. It pains to see any of our people get killed, whether they're in Gaza or whether they're in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? So that's the position I take. You know what I'm saying? So all I'm just saying is that, you know, you have to have a, a, a world view of things and stuff because what affects there definitely affects us over here because the same people that's doing it to them, doing it to us. You know what I mean? And because and, remember the IDF, when you see about those 
chokeholds that happened to George Floyd and other black men, where you think these racist cops learned it for? They learned it from, from the Israeli Defense Forces, these chokeholds and these brutal tactics. They, they, they're doing black people every day. They learned it from Israel. So you see a connection there, you know what hmm. I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I just... I, I just I just tend to keep a world view on things because like I said I keep I try to keep my eyes on the prize. That's what I do. You know what I mean? So I'm just standing closing. I hope we can definitely can migrate to the south because I you know I remember one time I heard I heard some black people in Philadelphia say that stupid stuff on the radio. Oh, I left south behind. I I, I grew up in North. I was born in North Carolina, Georgia. I never go back there again. I left the farm down there. Well, that's a stupid statement to make because you might have left it down there because the white man he sure as hell wanted. He wants you to leave it down there so he can have it for himself. So I. I, I I'm always happy when I heard black people say they're in the agriculture and they want to go back and buy the land and, and, and fertilize the land like Brother Dubstack said. I'm definitely down with that. I, if I can get my income together, I'm going to definitely try to purchase some land in the, in the southern section. My family, I got both my parents, I close with this, both of my parents from the south. My dad is from Virginia and my mother's from North Carolina. So I would definitely like to be in a position to purchase some land in both of those places. Man, I do have a little land down there that my grandma left me and stuff, not a lot, but she did leave me a little bit down in Virginia. So I definitely want to make sure I preserve that, you know. So that's all I want to say, Brother Elliot, in closing. I just thank, thank you for your distinguished guest for putting out the good information and, and stuff to help move our people forward because we definitely got to stop this boogeyman, this, this, these big bad racist Republicans and the Democrats. I get so tired of that nonsense, man, because I just want our people to know that we don't have to be subservient to the Democrat Party or the Republican Party. Like Brother Dubstep said, we can be formed both of them like he did the NAACP down there in uh, Mississippi. And thank you, Elder. I put me on mute and I listen to the rest of the show. Thanks for your contribution. You're welcome. Richard, excuse me. Yes, yes. It was a good conversation that we had with all of our guests tonight, Uh, uh, Brother Brandon. Excuse me. Brother Brandon, uh, before we leave tonight, uh, give out any information where people can get involved, uh, get to know, uh, especially if they're in the DMV area, uh, how they can uh, join up to get to uh, roll up their sleeves and get involved. Yes, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Eugene of People's Progress, Maryland. And often having a Ballast and Bullets podcast series, and we're going to continue to work with other formations that are looking to build independent that radical political formations in their cities, counties, states, and respective regions through the National Black Radical Political Conference and hoping to have convention and hoping to have one in another city this year in 2024 as we've had in, in concert in 2023 and 2022 as well. So we just look forward to being able to organize, 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 and free Palestine and free all African people and free the land. I don't know. I'm gonna make sure too that all of the uh, brothers that were on the, uh, that were with us tonight on the program make sure that they get the uh, get uh, your contacts also. Right on, brother Brandon. I'll talk to you soon. Right, you too. Y'all take care, man. Peace. Take care, man. Brother Dubsack, Before we go, uh, give out the contacts, how they can, uh, especially folks in the Mississippi area, how they can get involved in Mississippi on the move, uh, any contact you have for uh, your particular numbers or whatever that you want to give out, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, Well, they can reach me. They can always reach me at 662-544-2649, just for any networking or uh, sharing ideas of 
how we can help improve each other community, um, help liberate our people. Once again, that number is 662-544-2649. You can email me at duvsac at gmail.com. That's dovesac at gmail.com. And I want to encourage everybody to go to your uh, to NAACP.org, join your local branch of the NAACP, uh, and get active from that standpoint, from that from that platform. Uh, and, Brother Eddie, if I could real quick go back to the documentary from Brother Charles' documentary. Uh, one statement and one question I remember from that documentary. The question was, he asked the young man, uh, I'm going to propose this question to everybody who's listening, uh, when we talk about migrating back to the South. Are you truly feel safe for you and your family where you are? Do you truly feel safe where you are? If not, then try to sell. And, and my statement would be, this ain't for everybody. The migration, the movement, you truly have to be wired this way. Uh, I think that's why we're having so much difficulty. And I think Brother Pat said it last week to us on a private chat. Uh, uh, don't look for too many people to come aboard. Don't look for the help. We are the ones. The ones that are truly wired this way, the ones who are truly charged, from a higher power to stand for the for the masses of our people, we are free. But not many. It's going to be free. We just got to galvanize those free together. But this truly might not be for you. <laughs> Brother Delsack, hey, listen, thanks for your contribution. And uh, listen, I want to encourage all the listeners that's hearing that tonight, just in case you don't know, uh, Mississippi on the move. Uh, Brother Patrick, Brother Dubsack, Brother Commander Malik Hayes, uh, Sister Crystal, all of the hosts uh, are on on Thursday evenings uh, from from 7 to 9 on Time for an Awakening. Thanks for your contribution, Brother Dub. Talk to you. Thanks for having me, Brother. Always. All right. Again. Brother Jihad? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, before we leave tonight, just uh, let the folks know how they can reach out to you and uh, yes, how they can sir. get involved, especially if they're close to you, and how they can get involved and, and join it up. Yes, sir. And like I said, uh, you can contact me on Facebook also. Um, GV, that's G V S. Jam that will kill me. J A M T H A A L K I L I. That's GV's Jam Dunn Keeley. You can look at it um, on Facebook. And we also have our Facebook page, Miss the, the MGV Speaks. The MGV Speaks on Facebook. That's our page right there. You can also contact me. Uh, like I said, I'm the captain and uh, spokesperson of the MGV, so therefore you can contact me with 662-801-4273. That's 662-801-4273. And like I said, we are... Uh, our networking with all young people, no matter what your age bracket really is, we want young black people to be involved with self and community. You can reach us in these type of platforms right there. And one, I want to say thank you once again for the opportunity to come on, on y'all on y'all broadcast, speak with the brothers to represent Mississippi, represent Mississippi and the MGV, brother, brother Ilya, brother Richard, once again, I thank you so much for the opportunity. I swear I'm a little bit. Talk to you soon, brother. <laughs> yes, sir. 
We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to wind things down. We'll be right back. Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services if when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global you black family to join your interconnected you black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle, where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for... 10 or 12 years to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we're getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid thinking they're devoid of racism. Do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? 
I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of their time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Raft Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Mary Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back as a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Don't let anybody take your manhood. For an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. I want to thank uh, our guest that was with us this evening. Richard, it was an interesting dialogue uh, right. yes, with, yes, with yes. the different groups. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about some of the other groups that have been on uh, the, the uh, Low Country Organizing Committee. I think it was five organizations that was from uh, uh, Georgia, the Carolinas, uh, 
I don't know whether Alabama was involved. You know, I think it was five groups in the Low Country Organizing Committee, if you remember, Richard. Right, right. I don't remember the specific. Yeah, um, so, and, you know, it was it's, it's a lot of independent, uh, 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 these formations. Tory Russell uh, out there in the Missouri, uh, in the St. Louis area, along with Zaki Baruti, uh, Brother Wes Johnson down there in New Orleans, the Blackest Black Coalition down there in Florida. So these independent formations, and a lot of them already working together, Richard. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these independent formations is here uh, and, and waiting for our people to get involved. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I uh, share the, the number for uh, Brother Sadiqi and the Nubian Leadership Circle uh, with, with uh, the, the folks that was on with us tonight. So all of these men can know one another. Some of the men now uh, tonight became familiar with some of the other men's work and what they're doing. Uh, Brother Quran up there with Operation Power, all, all of them. But uh, I was happy to have all of them on tonight. It gives uh, a, a lot of people a, an insight on what's really going on. So some of our people don't have to sit back and say, well, black folks ain't doing nothing. We're just waiting on the Democrat or Republican Party. And, and it goes to this whole thing of, of what I would, you know, project as nation management. Um, as we see different, you know, um, bringing these formations together. Because even in out, out of this discussion, I was at the um, National Black Radical Co- Congress that has a convention, um, Nubian Circle, you know, Black Power Conference. Even if they send delegates and continuing this process um, yes. to each other, it provides this um, cross-fertilization of, of, of a development that goes towards this na- uh, nation management, and and as as brother uh, Jahad said, and others have said, you know, and looking to the south, as you know, everybody talks about land being the basis. Looking to the south and looking to Mississippi, where is land? But I agree, um, I agree with brother um, Dysak and others. Um, this point of what was brought up in um, the devil, you know, the concern I have is you have to come. Um, from not to be able to say you're going to, you know, um, go back to take over more than you you come back to create a relationship in order to to foster the development of. And my last thought, you know, in hearing us tonight, uh, Elliot, is what happened here. Could you imagine if all the communication systems were bringing men and women together who are organizing? Um, together in, in, in the kind of this kind of conversation um, as a means of our natural expression of news dis- distribution of strategy and tactic uh, cross fertilization. If our communication systems, these platforms, even in this virtual world, was doing that, what kind of development would occur? The speed of development. Is from the perspective of nation management could occur. Um, you know, that would be, you know, like really, I don't know if I'm just talking out of my head, but it would be phenomenal compared to, and you, you bring it up all the time, just using these platforms just to push entertainment, just to push um, bickering between each other compared to cross-fertilization about tactics and strategies, organize, organizing um, uh, successes and challenges, um, what that would be. You can't get this in a classroom. 
you can't, you can't, you know what I mean? If I'm making sense, yeah. you know, you, there's no university that is taking these experiences and what they call creating case studies so that young people can be able to um, have some framework in relationship to where they're going. This stuff is not learnt. This is, you know, is only learnt by people who, as I always say, have something inside so strong. Okay. Propels them to actually do this work. And out of that, a whole lot of knowledge and experience, a whole lot, you know, get, and it has to become intergenerational and it has to have a communication network to amplify, magnify for the next generation to be able to do. Cause all the, all the things I heard tonight was phenomenal. Richard, uh, before we go tonight, um, I know you've seen those articles that I text over to you. Yeah. Um, and Clyburn made some comments today on CNN that I want to play for the listening audience because this is why these formations is happening. And to me, at such a rapid pace, because the spirits of our ancestors is warning us that we have to come together with some type of leadership formations now, you remember when we talked Friday, and I mentioned about the way this system was set up, that history is bound to repeat itself. Yeah. That in 1861, I forgot when that war broke out, Richard. You, you know what, it was 1861 or two, whatever. Just say, let's turn the clock back to 1860. Some of our ancestors that was on those plantations never saw any way that they would be free. They knew that their father and their father's father before them was on those plantations, enslaved. They just couldn't, they might envision it in their mind, but they never seen the reality of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But circumstances arose where our people were able to free themselves as far as these people battling one another. And that was never their intention to battle one another. If you know what I mean, and, and rip that, uh, keep it open for me because I want to. Uh, uh, um, that was never their intention to battle one another. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. But things happened where they did, and we use that opportunity to free ourselves. Now, if you look at that article I sent you, uh, one of Obama's advisors, that article that was in the Hill, says he thinks that the header says Axelrod says he thinks it would rip the country apart if Trump were prevented from running. Right, right. Now we talked about a lot of this political stuff before. And how they really didn't want to put this guy in jail. They just didn't want him to run. But he's adamant that he's running. But this Axelrod is saying that they shouldn't prevent him because it can cause problems in this country. And he's talking about whites fighting whites. Do you agree, Richard? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
Here we go again. History repeating itself. Obama met with uh, Biden supposedly sometime last week. They had lunch. And he expressed his concerns about the way they're running the campaign. And he fears that Trump will be back in office. You read that article. Right. And that they need to do something to get the black vote back. Because here again, it's not about Latinos. It's not about any of these other nationalities or religious organizations. It's always about you. It comes down to you. You're the key factor, like Malcolm said in one of those clips I play. They know in order for them to win, they need at least 90% of the black vote. It's always been that way. I think the last poll they showed, this guy was down to 68%. Now, Richard, tell me something. You got Obama and others telling them that he got to do something to energize his campaign to basically get black folks back on board. They don't say that in these articles, but I'm not stupid. How how would that happen? Let, mm-hmm. I'm just asking you. How would that happen? Um, I'm putting a full court press on those uh, legacy organizations to get get people to um, come out. I agree with that, but how? See, because you, they're not talking about giving you any creating legislation and, and making sure that it's passed. That's never mentioned. So how are they talking about getting the black vote back? And I'll tell you, because this is not, I'm not trying to play uh, uh, a game. The way they're going to do it is the way they always do it, with money. They figure black folks is easy to buy. Just like that clip I played with Minister Furkan when he says, you cause these people, these white folks to disrespect all of us. So what they're going to do, they're going to go to, like you said, legacy organizations. They're going to go to certain aspects of the media, like Al Sharpton, like the Golden Eagle, or like that guy Charlemagne and others, and, uh, and give them money. That's how they figure they're going to get the vote out, by giving these people money. And it'll trickle down to the local elected black officials. Give them money to get the vote out. It'll trickle down to some of these ministers and churches. They're going to give them money. But the only thing, with a lot of these local black officials and uh, 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 high-profile pastors, they don't have to transfer the money to the, uh, the rank-and-file. Because all they got to do is just tell them what they want them to do. Most of the money will go into their pocket or to their, into their coffers. You follow what I'm saying, Richard? Yeah. yeah it's it's going to all be about money. Money to get this black vote out. Just like that guy, Vallis, who used to be here in Philadelphia. He got on those black elected officials, Bobby Rush and others, because he gave them money and they didn't get the vote out. You remember that, Richard? Right. Not that he was going to do any policy, change anything, uh, 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 change the, uh, how these racist banks get black people mortgages, <clears throat> give more money towards the development of black businesses. None of that is ever on the table. It's all about money. 
to these legacy organizations, to certain black media, to certain blacks that they feel have influence, and to a certain black uh, 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 clergy. Now, Richard, before I leave, I want to play these comments by uh, um, Clyburn. He was on CNN. Listen to this. I mean, listen. I already know that, that white folks, by and large, think that black people are a little bit slow. So they figure they'll tell them anything. But I detest when you get our people that look at our people like white folks do. That really burns. It, it rubs me the wrong way. Listen to this dumb shit. That this, that, and I'm just sorry, sorry to the listening audience. Listen to this crap this guy says. And pick it apart, Richard. I'm going to play it. Here it is. Clyburn. Uh, Congressman Clyburn, thanks for joining us. So let's start uh, with President Biden's trip tomorrow to historic Mother Manual AME Church. What are you hoping to hear from President Biden? And is, is it fair to tie in any way what happened at the Emanuel AME Church to Donald Trump? Donald Trump had barely launched his campaign when that attack happened. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jake. I think it is very clear uh, that Donald Trump's utterances uh, way back before Charlottesville, or at the time of Charlottesville, ties him uh, to uh, what happened uh, at Mother Emanuel. The fact of the matter is, that young man went... And now, wait a minute, Richard, did you hear what he just said? Yeah. That, yeah. that Trump's comments ties him to Charlottesville. That man didn't ask nothing about no damn Charlottesville. He asked about the church in Charlotte, uh, uh, Charleston. Mm. He started talking about Charlottesville. Now, if you remember, Richard, Charlottesville happened in June of 2015, right? Right. Trump took over as president in January 2017. That was two years later. That Charlottesville crap happened in August of 2017 while Trump was president. Trump wasn't president. In fact, you, uh, uh, who was it? I don't forgot these damn presidents. Who was president in 2015? That was, was it a, still Obama? Yeah. That incident, yeah, yeah. Happened, that incident happened in 2015. What, what are you talking about? Trump had something to do with this. Now, uh, white supremacist mentality always has something to do with the terrorizing of our people. That church was bombed in 1963 and it wasn't by Trump. It was by people that looked like Trump that had the same mindset as Trump. Now if he had said that that might have been acceptable. But Trump became president in 2017. That incident happened in 2015, Richard. That man didn't ask him nothing about Charlottesville. He asked him about Charleston. Then let me finish it out. Into that church's basement, joined with those worshipers in Bible study, and murdered them. And he said at the time that he was attempting to create a race war. But the people of Charleston, South Carolina, the families uh, of the affected uh, uh, victims all came together uh, to get beyond 
hate and reach out to help continue this pursuit of a more perfect union. Wait a minute. Is that true, Richard? Uh, I mean, what is, what, what, is, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Let me, let me finish it out. Donald Trump looked at those people in Charlottesville and said that there were good people on both sides. And those people were uttering things like, Jews will not replace us. That is a religion. The AME Church, Emmanuel, that is religion. And Donald Trump has said things uh, in support of those activities that ties him closely uh, to what happened at Mother Emanuel. The Washington Post reports that former President Obama met for a private lunch with President Biden recently uh, to express concern about how Biden is managing his reelection bid. This comes as President Biden uh, is struggling to solidify support among black voters, uh, including on that trip to South Carolina. Obviously, you were in instrumental in Biden getting the Democratic nomination. Obviously, black voters uh, were instrumental in President Biden getting, then Senator Biden, or then Vice President Biden, getting the nomination in 2020. How worried are you about black voters showing up for President Biden in November? Well, I'm not worried. I'm very concerned, and I have sat down. Richard. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 how worried are you that black voters might not show up? Oh, I'm not worried. I'm very concerned. What, 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 are you, what, what is this? Am I some type of fool? What the hell does that mean? I'm not worried. I'm, I'm very concerned. I mean, Richard, is these statements, I mean, maybe I'm just hearing things. It ain't, it ain't registered. Huh? That's, that's the way to double talk of politics. I mean, at this this presidential election is going to be. And some you said, you know, that struck me is that uh, Clyburn, Clyburn and Biden, all of them may have uh, memory challenges at this point, but they, they there, um, you know, so. Well, I don't think, listen, I, <clears throat> Biden is a different story. This guy don't have no memory concerns or old timers. Mm. He's just being slick with words. Now let me. I'm gonna show you how slick. And let me finish it out. It's about another minute. The President Biden. I don't remember. No, I saw those reports. I've also seen at least one report indicating that I have sat down uh, with President Biden, and I did uh, with him, uh, and I've uh, told him what my concerns are. I have no problem with the Biden administration and what it has done. My problem is that we have not been able to break through uh, that MAGA wall in order to get to people. Now, wait a minute, Richard. He said, I don't have no problem with what Biden and the administration has done. You heard him say that. Right, right. His concern that they haven't been able to break through a MAGA wall, which meaning which means they haven't been able to reach uh, some of these extremist whites. That's your concern? I mean, what right. the, what the, you know, you're going to get me to use some real colorful language. Well, what the hell are you in office for? You dumbass old man. What the, what are you talking about? That's your concern. You represent black people in South Carolina. 
And all I got to do is pull up some statistics down there, what's going on with our people. And it's the same as if I pulled it up from New York, from Philadelphia, from Georgia. They're all generally the same. That's your concern. That's what you are concerned. You don't have no, you don't think he's done anything wrong. He succeeded with what he said. He said he don't have any concern with what Biden did. did. Am I right? Did he say that? Hey, yep. Unless unless he's unless he's saying that the MAGA wall got black people so disen so disenchanted that look, only look at, one five was going to vote. Look at what brother Joe Otis just put in the chat room. His district is the sixth poorest in the whole damn nation. Look at that. And his and his only concern is he hasn't been able to break through a MAGA wall. Somebody need to throw his old ass through a wall. I'm talking about Clyburn. Mm-hmm. Let me let me play that again, and I'm gonna just let it play out. Concerned, and I have sat down with President Biden. I don't remember, no, I saw those reports. I've also Senator Biden, or then Vice President Biden, getting the nomination in 2020. How, how worried are you about Black voters showing up for President Biden in November? Well, I'm not worried. I'm very concerned. And I have sat down with President Biden. I don't remember, no, I saw those reports. I've also seen at least one report indicating that I have sat down uh, with President Biden, and I did uh, with him. Uh, and I've uh, told him what my concerns are. I have no problem with the Biden administration and what it has done. My problem is that we have not been able to break through uh, that MAGA wall in order to get to people exactly what this president has done. If you took the little simple thing as student loan debt relief, he promised to relieve student loan debt, and he has done that. But one part of his promise he was not able to keep because six Republican um, attorneys general and the United States Supreme Court the six to three vote stopped him from doing so. But he sought another way, and he is forgiven $132 billion to 3.4 million people in student loan debt. But nobody writes about that. Nobody talks about that. I'm still hearing from people as recent as yesterday that we did not, uh, he did not keep his promise on student loan debt relief, and he has. Eighty percent of what he said he would do, he has done and is continuing to do it. And people don't focus on that. They only focus on that 20 percent affected by that court decision rather than what he did to get beyond the court decision. He's done the same thing when it comes to the judiciary. He stood right across. Richard, I'm, I had enough of that foolishness. And anybody didn't want to hear them lies, all they got to do is pull it up on, on uh, YouTube and hear his comments on CNN. Richard, he don't have no problem with what the guy did. Mm-hmm. He talked about some student loan debt. A program that didn't really go through. A few people got, the, the, and it didn't affect. You know, listen, that man asked him in the beginning about the black vote and the slippage of the black vote and basically how is they going to, how is they planning to get it back? Wasn't that the gist of this man's questions? Right. So, 
What is he talking about? He still never mentioned anything that he supposedly did specifically for the black community. Later on, he mentions about Okatanji Brown, a couple of positions that was created. What does that have to do with the George Floyd bill? What's that have to do with the John Lewis Voting Rights Act? What does that have to do with the money in the budget for black farmers that was taken out? For discrimination that this government, both Democrat and Republican, did against our farmers. And that little bit of money, even though it's a lot of money for the farmers, that little bit of money, considering all the money that they even gave to their brothers over there in the Ukraine, the $5 billion that was allocated for them for land loss and debt relief that was taken out every penny of it. What about that? You're going to go, go pull off some uh, 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 student debt relief. And if you did a poll, see how many black people even got any debt relief from their student loans. I'm waiting for that poll. Why don't black media do that poll? Because it would give this Democratic Party and this president a black eye, so they're not going to do that. Our people need to be sick of this song and dance from these stooges that they put, these black stooges that they put in here, black faces on white power. They need to be sick of this foolishness. And all they're going to do is go tell you, oh, vote like your life depends on it, or you'll get Donald Trump again. We've been suffering pain as people since we've been here. We need to do something independent with ourselves, and if there's some pain to be suffered, we'll do it with one another. I know our people are sick of being taken for fools by these white folks, both Democrat and Republican, and, and, and quote-unquote allies. Richard, I'm done with that. Mm. Hey. Before we go, uh, African Perspectives, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African Perspectives with host Brother Oshi, always interesting topics and dialogue on African Perspectives. It's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. later on in the week on Thursday. Excuse me, from 7 to 9, Mississippi on the move the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi with Brother Patrick Lumumba, uh, Brother Rodney Lowe, Brother Dove Sack, uh, Brother Malik Hayes, Sister Crystal, several hosts on Mississippi on the Move. That's uh, Thursdays, 7 to 9 on Time for an Awakening. Friday, Time for an Awakening is back from 8 until on Saturday, the elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James' host from 7 to 9. And on Sunday, from 7 until Time for an Awakening. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Sunday, Lord willing, on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, or you're watching your children playing.
Save the children. 